Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. Welcome once again to the podcast. But this week, I'm not going to call it by its proper title. I'm not going to call it How to Be Great. I'm going to call it, without hyperbole, the greatest wrestling podcast ever. Now, it hasn't started yet, and you might feel like there's no absolutely no basis in me saying that. But what's good for the goose is good for the gander, and what's good for Vince is good for me. So I'm going to promote that. Whatever Vince may say, whatever Edge may say, and whatever Randy may say, one slap in his leg. But to join me to discuss whether or not this is the greatest podcast of all time, and indeed lots of other things about how to be great, here's my old showbiz, Paul Benson. How you doing, Paul? All right, Rob. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Um, I was just just busy reading a very interesting piece of literature, actually, a work of a work of uh, written genius, actually. And it's been endorsed by none other than uh, former AEW and WWE world champion Chris Jericho endorsing that as a great read. A great read. Yes. How to be how to be great at writing things that I am Jericho. How to be how, how. well, and that, and the author will be you, Rob. Well, thank Congratulations. You and I think he gen- you've ever so slightly, he, he genuinely ever was. so slightly stolen my thunder because I was going to, uh, I was first of all going to uh, compliment you on your new hairdo that I saw on this week's um, Hooked on Wrestling uh, weekly quiz on Sunday night, and I was going to say that obviously you've been to the barber shop. And speaking of the barber shop, that was. A, that was going to be my uh, that was going to be my way in. But if you don't know what Paul's talking about, um, I've started writing a thing called the Barbershop Trilogy. Uh, it started with the Barbershop Window defenestration of Marty Janetti way back in 1992. The second episode went up uh, today, in fact, as we as we are recording this uh, yesterday, probably when you're uh, listening uh, on Tuesday, June the 9th, which was the 12 year anniversary of Jericho and Shawn Michaels and the famous Geratron incident. Um, when they finally wrote in a reason for Sean to have a bit of a bung eye. Uh, it's one of the greatest feuds of all time and a great moment. And I've always felt like it was an homage to the barbershop window. Uh, and we uh, tweeted about it and tagged in Chris and Sean. And uh, Chris liked it enough to um, endorse it and suggest to Sean that he should read it. So I was kind of chuffed by that. You may recall on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, were. we were talking about how Eric Bischoff had endorsed um, Because WCW, the podcast, and now... Uh, Le Champion thinks something uh, of uh, of what I wrote about him and the barbershop thing, which is cool actually because I was aware of the fact that if you read that thing properly, you can read it at hookedonwrestling.co.uk. By the way, folks, look for the barbershop trilogy. Um, but I was ever so slightly critical of Jericho in that article, not mostly because mostly it's a very much a a thing, a love letter to how good that angle was and how good the two guys are. But I did refer to the fact that when Jericho came back. 
uh, in 2000 and, uh, late 2007, I guess it was, was it? Um, it really was not, it was not with the bang that we expected. The whole save us thing was good, but then a lackluster feud with Orton and then we, no one really got into the thing with JBL. You know, it was really not really working at all for Jericho until um, the Shawn Michaels thing in the summer of 2008, the switch of character, the honest man, and off we went to the races from there. So yeah, very cool to um, uh, to get that feedback from Jericho. Um, and as you said, Paul, you pointed out to me privately, the nicest thing was the fact that he had recommended it to Sean. So it was kind of that meant a little bit more, I think. Absolutely, yeah. It wasn't just platitudes. Like you know, it, it's very easy for them to retweet or even say great or whatever. But you just got the sense that he actually meant it and he actually read it and he was tagging Sean in as like telling his mate to read something like I'd send you a link um, so it was pretty cool and obviously it was nice for our little fledgling site to get a, a little bit of rub from uh, a little bit of the rubbly <laughs> from uh, Le Champion <laughs> oh, that was <laughs> I'm totally I, I made that that, uh, that came in off yeah. the cuff mate. that made, came in off the cuff I, but it will not be the last that time that was more of used. a crowbar than someone we saw in WCW in late the 1990s but uh Perhaps, perhaps Sean has already read it. Perhaps that's what Sean was doing during the In Your House pay-per-view when we cut to the back and he was on the computer with Triple H and Road Dog. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> By the way, did Road Dog not look like the most... Um, uh, <laughs> he looked like an old pro- gold prospector to me. You know, in a, it, oh, mate. one of those with a bit with a little... Oh, I'm going to look down the man and get myself some gold. I can't really... That's what he... That was, that was, the, that was the Road Dog. <laughs> He's a... Hey, mate, honestly, right, you know, I've been guilty as this anything. Have you ever seen, you've seen those, you know your yeah, old yeah, yeah, when course, dot, yeah. dot, dot, dot memes? I send those out on a semi-regular basis. I think that that still from that advert might well have been the ultimate, you know your old when, D-Generation X looked like three bearded <laughs> old farts. <laughs> it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> Indeed. But, uh, but, yeah, not, not the 90s anymore. Speaking of it? in your house, and actually this is going to be quite fitting because given that Paul has begun this podcast by praising me, uh, which is unusual for him, so you know, you could actually, that noise you could hear in the background is not a bad connection between us, that's the gritted teeth that he was having to speak through. Uh, <laughs> but I am actually going to do my own little bit of uh, eating humble pie and I'm going to say to you, um, dear listener, three little words that I've never said to you before. Paul was right. And I'll tell you what he was right about. In last week's poll, we came up with a top five of people that should be considered Mr. In Your House. And while this person wouldn't have won, I argued him not being in our top five. And mate, I should have allowed you to put Todd Pettengill into our top five. You (laughs) were right. WWE think you were right. Here's a little extra spoiler, folks. This is a a little peek behind the curtain, letting in daylight upon magic, as I like to say. Um, Genuinely, last week for the podcast, we tried to get Todd Bettengill on the show last week. I think we might have bantered about it during the show as if we were joking, but we we genuinely tried to get him on and we got in contact. We know someone that knows him. We nearly got him on. But then it kind of mysteriously went a bit quiet and we never really heard back and we thought, oh, that's a shame. And then about 12 hours later, WWE went, Todd Pettengill returns this weekend. It was like, that's why we didn't get him. That's, that's happened two or three times to me. I, I, did, I do remember getting an email once from uh, um, 
I'll, I'll go ahead and say I wasn't going to say who, wasn't going to say who it was, but I'll go ahead and say it. I was trying to get someone for an interview just before WrestleMania, and they had to email me to tell me that they couldn't really do my email because they couldn't really do my interview because they were going to make a bit of a surprise appearance the following week uh, as, as they built up to WrestleMania, and it was Paul Bearer. I was about to get an interview with Paul Bearer, and he basically had to by email say, "Please don't tell anyone, but I can't do your interview because I'm going to back to WWE next week." So that was. Uh, Oh, was that it? Was that ahead of WrestleMania oh, twenty? No, was it, was, it? it was further on than that. I was uh, I was waiting. I was still at university when WrestleMania twenty was on. But uh, um, no, uh, maybe uh, some, sometime in the sometime in the mid twenties he, he appeared. I don't think he was at WrestleMania as Undertaker's manager, but I think he came back like a couple of weeks beforehand to do a surprise appearance or something. And I we we, we, we were right, okay, so okay. These things happen. But anyway back to the topic we nearly got Todd on the show we'll still try and get him again in the future I think we'll be able to get him back one day and we'll have something extra to talk to him about won't we we'll about when he returned to NXT TakeOver in your house oh I, I tell you what I called a few of those actually if anyone read if you go on hookedonwrestling.co.uk cheap plug I also did a column over the weekend about 10 things I'd like to see brought back and then 8 things I wouldn't like to see uh, brought back um, and one of the things I would like to see brought back you was did say Anchor Pro. Pro actually yeah right and I, and I and that's the only one that was not tongue in cheek genuinely Iker Pro would be a success if they market it now and brought it back the supplement market is worth hundreds of billions or not sorry not hundreds of billions tens of billions a year and they've got the market machine that they didn't have in 1992 and they've got a lot of equity in the brand as it were Iker Pro would be a success if they if they made that now genuinely hands up they should do it um, but the other was the 1900 numbers and lo and behold that came back as well with Todd Pettengill's Todd Pettengill's name drop so I, 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 I like to think of myself as uh, Mr 90s stuck in the 90s and I think I was pretty attuned to what we were going to see that night and I friggin I like loved the idea it. that you're stuck in the 90s because um, the very first in your house do you remember who the commentators were on the very first in your house Vin, uh, Vince nope. and Doc Hendricks and of course, Doc Hendricks, his character was he was stuck in the 80s. So it's um, that was yes, literally, literally the wording yeah, yeah. that I've heard Michael Hayes say about what Doc Hendricks was was he was stuck in the 90s, uh, stuck in the 80s. So you are the uh, the next the next oh, incarnation okay. of Doc Hendricks. How do you feel about that? I'll take that every day. Do you hear who's supposed to come back on Sunday? He uh, Triple H. Uh, Triple H asked him to uh, to make a cameo as Doc Hendricks, but he well, refused to cut his hair. You can actually hear that on this. Um, I listened to the latest Bruce Pritchard podcast um, today, and he talk, does a which is about the first in your house, which is why I've watched it this week. And um, uh, he does a story about right. uh, when when Michael they've done it before about Michael Hayes joining the company and having his hair cut and stuff. But uh, it is it is touched on in, right. the, in this week's Pritchard show as well, so it's uh, uh, an interesting one. Anyway, nice. the reason nice. we were talking about in your house last week was uh, not just because it was coming back uh, on WWE with the NXT takeover. And by the way, this is not the place for us to start doing a detailed rundown of the show. I've got my opinions, Paul's got his opinions, but this is not what this show's about. Um, there's lots of them on the hookedonwrestling.co.uk nope. site. We have opinions, we have reviews, we have looks at it. Uh, so that's where you can go for that one. Uh, and you can quite frankly give me or, me and Paul a ring privately if you want to have a chat about it. I've got plenty of time on my hands. Um, but uh, we're not really going to go into what we thought of the show itself. But what we did last week here on the podcast, as we've mentioned, uh, was we did our top five contenders for Mr. In Your House and I've already admitted that Todd Pettengill should have been one of those top five 
Um, but we did have a different top five. Paul is going to give you the rundown of who those five were and is going to tell you who won our poll. Because if this is the first time you're listening to us, well, don't forget this far, by the way. But if this is the first time of you, for you listening, the format is Paul and I will come up with a top five contenders and then we put it out on the website for people to vote. Um, I believe, Paul, we had our biggest ever voting week this week, which is really cool. Uh, but what did people go for? We did. Well, in reverse order of the five, um, the last place, as we kind of speculated it might be, was The Undertaker. Um, then in fourth, we got Mankind slash Dude Love slash Cactus Jack, Mick Foley, basically. Third, I'm surprised by this, British okay. Bulldog. I thought he might have been fourth or fifth, maybe, maybe even fifth, but third. So pleased about that. Um, and I think that was one you had to shoehorn in. You had to... You had to, you had to talk, yeah, that, oh, was, I can't remember. that anyway, was the one I was whatever. really pushing for. Um, Basically, right. Okay. Well, well he would have come third on mine. If I'd have done a top three, the top three would have been in the top three that they finished in. So I'm quite happy. You, he was the best of the rest. So it's quite an achievement behind um, number two, which was Shawn Michaels. But then the runaway winner with um, over double the number of votes that Shawn Michaels received was Brett the Hitman Hart, who we are crowning Mr. Well, in I Your think House. That's fair. I think that's correct, um, and it's what I expected. I didn't expect over double. So what was the what were the percentages? Do you have them to hand? Yeah, yeah. So Bret Hart was fifty four percent or fifty four point five cents. Sorry, and Shawn Michaels was twenty seven. Wow, that is high, isn't it? Um, it might be worth. On, mm. I'm not going to get you to do it now and be a, a deep stato and go into it all unless you have it right at your fingertips. But um, I do have a little um, document in front of me which records all of the winners of the different categories which tells us that so far we've had the winners best drop kick was Mr. Perfect best ladder match performer Hardy uh, best first two seconds of theme music Stone Cold Steve Austin best pair of Wrestlemania matches Wrestlemania 10 uh, and actually Bret Hart was featured in that wasn't he so a Bret, kind of Bret's second win in some ways it was yeah excuse me Bret's um, uh, winning Mr. In Your House but what I haven't done is record the percentages that uh, people have had the, the winning percentages so that's something we must do and keep a little track on that because I think by what you've just said there I'm not sure anyone's recorded a higher percentage of that so far I don't recall anyone being over the 50% mark so far I might question that um, to be honest I can't remember off the top of my head but I seem to remember last week was quite strong as well but um, I can go back and check no problem we can we can keep a record if you well, want so to stato it up next no week we'll, problem uh, we'll make sure next week we've got a, a few more extra stats for you all and a little extra bonus uh, on this week's podcast what we've been doing uh, is been revealing our topic for next week's podcast on the Hooked on Wrestling weekly quiz which has recently moved from Friday to Sunday night we also had I hate saying this, I feel, feel like we're getting really big-headed, but these are all true, true facts, everybody, um, that Sunday was our biggest ever Hooked on Wrestling weekly quiz as well. We had lots of new people join in. Uh, that is going from strength to strength. The Hooked on Wrestling quiz civil war is imminent. Um, so all those uh, good things are still to come. But we've been revealing the topic on the quiz night, which has generally been on the Friday. So on the Friday, we'll say this is the topic for the podcast. Over the weekend, we'll put it out. And then we record on a Tuesday night and put it out on a Wednesday. That's typically the uh, the run of things. But now that we've moved the quiz to the Sunday, yeah. it feels a little bit close to the Tuesday for people to get their opinions. So what we're going to do is we're going to tell you at the end of this show what next week's topic is. So you've got a little bit of time to uh, put your thinking caps on. You can get in touch with us independently if you wish. But there will be posts uh, so look 
on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of those sorts of things. Uh, just search for Hooked on Wrestling, you'll find us quick enough um, if you're not listening to uh, following us already. Uh, and then you'll be able to interact. As plenty of people did this week, um, the topic that we will be talking about very, very shortly uh, is who had the biggest impact on impact. That is what is coming very shortly. Before we get to that, Paul, anything just to uh, wrap up about last week's In Your House or anything else to mention as regards hookedonwrestling.co.uk and beyond? Not really, although I... Well, we've got one announcement coming. For We're going to have our first theme oh, yes. weekend very oh, yes. soon. I will uh, I'll, I will keep that under my hat for now. But if you buy it before the weekend is out, so you'll be listening to this probably Wednesday, before the Saturday, we will be announcing our first ever theme weekend, which will be uh, the weekend of the 20th and the 21st of June. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. I think you'll like it. As, as you are listening, it's probably going to probably the weekend after next as you're listening as uh but so uh, yeah the uh it will uh, yeah if you're if you're listening the week of release obviously. so that's uh, that's probably what it will be anyway looking forward to that and uh, you might just get a little bit of a hint to what that is at some point during this show stay tuned right so let's talk about this week's topic who made the biggest impact on impact now the reason we put it that way is obviously for a little bit of wordplay tna wrestling's main show was called impact wrestling the company is now officially called impact wrestling although they still uh, do dabble with the letters tna uh, from time to time look looking at their heritage um would you believe it that uh, next year TNA is 20 years old next year. There was not many people that would have predicted that the company would have lasted 20 years when it started. Um, Even fewer that would have... 19 years old. No, next year. 20 years old next year. Oh, no, sorry. You're quite right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're quite right. Sorry. (laughs) But it's uh, it's very close to 20 years old anyway. People might be listening to this next year, so I would be technically correct. (laughs) Um, so yes, it's very close to that anyway. But um... I, I've just had I, I've just had a Facebook invite inviting me to a group. Right, get this. Right, sorry to interrupt. I've you've been invited to the group. Group. Good times guaranteed. The person that invited me, Barry Horowitz. Horowitz. Oh, yeah, we'd be delighted that you called him Horowitz. So are you are you Facebook friends with Barry Horowitz? I am, I am I am Facebook friends with Barry Horowitz, yeah. What? I don't know right, why. Right, right. I this have is, no idea sorry, why. this is totally off topic. Sorry, everybody. I'm going to have to break up the format now and just have a little chat to Paul separately. <laughs> you have never told me that. You are Facebook friends with Barry Horowitz. I, he, he just posts such amusing shit. Like, Paul, he just posts Paul, about, like, Paul, you know, hit pics of him next to him. We what, have what, what? a... Uh, a little timeline of what topics we're going to do from now until the end of next April planned, okay? We have a year's, nearly a year's worth of topics. In all of those 40-odd topics that we have penciled in, one of them is not um, best jobber or greatest jobber or something like that, (laughs) right? But I am happy to rip up the script, put that in at some point, now that I know that you know Barry Horowitz and we can get Barry on and we can do a nice little show about jobbers. Shall I ask my mate Baz? Ask, ask, um, ask Bazza. See if you can get him on. I'll ask and, um, old BH, the, uh, the horror meister. Get him, uh, get him on. Hammer Horror. The Wittgenstein. We'll get him on, right? <laughs> and uh, we'll have a little chat about jobbers. 
future. Sorry to have a production meeting on air, everybody. Yeah. Um, but if he's not, if Benson is no not going to tell me these things, tell me plan, then I'm going to. Ha- I have to do it in front of everybody. Um, and uh, I could edit this out, and so you wouldn't be hearing it. But and also could edit out me making an arse of not knowing what year it is. But it all stays in because that's how unprofessional we really are. Anyway, it's all part yeah, of the. And, con- and even better, you there broke you up go. when you said that, and so no one actually heard what you said. So we'll move on. Uh, to do in today's topic, what we need to set up is, so basically it's TNA Wrestling, um, 18 years old, 19 years old, 20 years old, however it may be, <laughs> I'm questioning how old someone is now, I feel like Marty Gennetti. Um but it's, um, we'll leave, that, <laughs> leave that one, nearly said Jerry Lawler, could have gone either way, um, but uh, <laughs> so I've made myself laugh. Um, that company was not expected to last that long from the start. It probably wasn't expected to last that long. Even a few years ago, uh, the death knell might have been sounding. But it's still around. And uh, I, I actually personally haven't watched it in a wee while. But what I hear is that uh, it's certainly picked up again recently under Anthem. And uh, it's still around. And if it's a good, if it's a place for people to work, um, nationally in America, internationally for people, then I'm all for that. Um, kudos to them. Um, but there was certainly a time where TNA was a big deal in wrestling bigger than people expected it to be, perhaps not as big as it should have been. Um, but in terms of our topic, who made the biggest impact on impact? As I say, part of it is wordplay, but part of it also is a very gen- uh, genuine discussion of who are the most important people in that company's history. Um, that is a broad way of uh, the top saying the topic, biggest impact on impact is slightly pithy. Um, before we get into it, I just want to give you our backgrounds in terms of how we know said company. Uh, and Paul will start because Paul uh, worked not directly for TNA, but certainly on behalf of TNA in a very specific way. Um, would would know a lot of players behind the scenes as well as in front of cameras. So Paul, in in as you know as brief as you can, but with as much detail as you can, just give everyone an idea of what your relationship with TNA was like when it started and what you actually did. Sure. Okay, so I started working with TNA in 2008, um, so sort of midway into their to their life cycle really, and I worked for an agency in London whereby we represented the broadcast rights for TNA internationally, and by that I mean, so obviously TNA Impact was made uh, in the US for, I believe at that time, yes. with Spike, yep. that's right isn't it, sounds right, yep, um, yeah, it never changed while I was there actually, I, it was Spike until after I left, so um it was on Spike. They made it, and then what my job was, and we did this. I, I did this was my career for a long time, for 15 years, for various different genres and companies. But eight years of that was with TNA, um, and I essentially took that program, took the rights to air that program to uh, channels around the world, uh, and I negotiated the deals for TNA Impact and pay-per-views and whatever else to be broadcast in the UK, in India, in the Middle East, in Australia, in Germany, in Canada. Um, everywhere apart from Mexico actually um, but the rest was all either me or my boss or a combination of the two um, so we were um, you know without to put too fine a point on it we were fairly instrumental um, in the finances of TNA essentially um, you, could, you know there's a as with any wrestling company and as with any company there's a lot of different revenue streams it's very sort of complex but essentially we were the profit really like i know there's a lot of talk about that tna didn't make a profit during those heyday years i can categorically tell you no matter what any journalist or anybody tells you i can categorically tell you that's false tna did make a profit 
um, for about five of the six years where the information came from about them losing money was because they had shareholders Panda Energy invested in TNA invested a significant amount of money in TNA and essentially it was in the form of a, of a, of a loan I guess you know uh, it's more complex than that but every year they had to pay dividends and money back for their to their shareholders um, and that was and basically the, the Carter family the who controlled Panda Energy took all the operating profit out of TNA to pay back to their shareholders and in dividends so on paper TNA never made a profit for that very reason but it absolutely did and it was roughly the amount we brought in for international TV rights roughly um, and so we did that yeah me and my boss did that for 8 years we were very successful actually and it was it was an amazing time you know I was on the phone to TNA management daily um, if it wasn't Dixie Carter um, it might have been Jeff Jarrett or Jeremy Borash um, and then a number of names you know you wouldn't have heard of such as Andy Barton who was kind of you know the go-to guy who's like I guess the COO uh, or equivalent of the majority of the time I was there and then a bunch of the marketing guys so you know it was it was a very hands-on process it was a very interesting process I was over in Nashville twice a year um, obviously they had the UK tours over here and like I say I was on the phones the whole time I got I was privy to some really interesting conversations and in fact again to toot my own horn a bit you know I was you know the, the idea for British Boot Camp was um, started with a conversation that I initiated. Um, if you, anyone remembers TNA Greatest Matches on Challenge, that was me um, and a couple of other bits and pieces as well. So I, we were right there at the coalface. Um, and it was a really proud eight years, you know. I, I got to meet all my heroes. I got to be a meaningful part of the business side of the wrestling business. And as a fan since 1991, that was just phenomenal. Uh, I'll never top it career-wise. Um, and yeah, subsequently, I, I feel like I'm fairly well qualified to talk about the actual happenings and the guts of the success or otherwise of TNA during there you that go. period. Paul got to meet some of his heroes, some of the greatest wrestlers on earth, and Wes Briscoe. Um, so that was uh, it was a good hey. a good time for him. No, yeah. no, but that's a that's a, that's a I can I can attest by the way that that's a fair summing up by Paul. Uh, all of those things are indeed true. Uh, it's the reason that we met uh, is because uh, in 2010 there was a TNA uh, set of interviews that Ric Flair was doing shortly after he joined the company, uh, and there was a bit of a get together of UK media folk. I was there, Paul was there. We got on well, and we've been uh, pretty good buddies ever since. That was just over 10 years ago. Um, but for, for my part, wow. uh, I used to, uh, don't judge me for this, by the way, folks, but I used to um, uh, be a wrestling writer for The Sun. Uh, I used to be the kind of second in command, as it were, on The Sun's wrestling pages. Uh, and our main guy, a guy called Simon Rothstein, brilliant, brilliant fella, um, helped me more than anyone else in my career, I think. Um, so I got me to write for The Sun. Uh, and then he left to take up a job working for TNA. He was the uh, uh, the basically the PR guy for technically speaking I think he was Britain and Europe but he was basically the PR guy for everything outside of America um, but and in, in some, some of it in America but Cy was the PR guy the publicist call it what you will uh, on this side of the pond and it meant I stepped up not officially as the, uh, the wrestling editor but I was certainly the lead wrestling writer um, and we already had a fantastic relationship with TNA before Cy went to work there after we went to work there an even better one so for my part, um, I was able to cover TNA 
as cl- me and Patrick Lennon, uh, Patrick Lennon, who used to work for the Daily Star, is the finest British wrestling journalist of all time. Don't at me. Um, but uh, me and Pat used to get completely unfiltered access to TNA. We could interview whoever we wanted, basically whenever we wanted. Uh, we went to lockdowns, bound for glories. Um, every every night of the UK tours, we would be there and we could go backstage, AAA passes. This sounds like bragging. I mean, it's tr- but it's just simply true. It's just my way of telling you that you know I also had the the some sort of access. Paul had more than me, but. Uh, we had a, a unbelievably good working relationship um, with TNA. I'll tell one quick story just as, as a comparison point. I went to WrestleMania 25 uh, in Houston, and I was uh, with another 30 or 40 journalists in the back of a skybox at the top of the Reliant uh, Stadium, a long, long, long way away from the uh, the action. This was about three o'clock in the afternoon of WrestleMania, and there were people in the ring. Um, sort of getting themselves ready, just going through their motions, through the paces, t- tr- you know, doing their entrances, working out some moves, etc. And some of us were, you know, looking at this through a little window, and suddenly some d- WWE PR people or representatives came in, stormed in, shut the curtains, demanded to go through everybody's phones, uh, cameras, to check if they hadn't taken any pictures. If they had taken pictures, they were forced really? to delete them. Um, and bear in mind. It was just some, like we'd never seen anything. Like we didn't know that went on in wrestling. You know, people just had a little bit of a workout in the afternoon, but it was unbelievably heavy-handed and unnecessary. Um, about six months later, or five months later, however long it was, uh, I was in California for Bound for Glory, uh, and about an hour and a half before the show started, I was sitting on the ring apron talking to the owner of the company. Now, that's a, there's a bit of a difference there, isn't there? I know TNA Wrestling was not as big a conglomerate as the WWE, but their approach in for journalists was the total opposite. It was one of trust and inclusion, and we would never spoil anything. I knew all of the results that night. I was told all the results before the show started. Actually, one of them changed during the show. I was told all the results, and one of them didn't happen as I was told. But um, they had enough trust in us to do that kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, that trust was reciprocated. We wouldn't spoil anything. I would never suggest that a show was better than it was just because they were nice to me. If I thought it was crap, I would say it was crap. Anyone that ever listened to my old podcast, The One-Sided Ring, would know that I would weekly go nuts about how bad DNA was. But it was because I cared. Um, And anyway, they treated me absolutely wonderfully. Like I say, I I turned up in the hotel that week to cover um, a TNA pay-per-view. And the owner saw me and came over and gave me a hug. And they were a lovely company to work with. I will admit it changed after the uh, the Bischoff Hogan thing. Uh, so the first few years of I was work, probably between 2006 and 2009 were the best years for me working with TNA. After that, it soured a little bit. Um, but it was still a lovely place and some great people, uh, and I had a fun time working with them. So that isn't me and Paul going into business for ourselves, telling you how great we are. It is simply a statement of facts telling you that this is a topic that will we can probably go into a little bit more depth about. We've even talked about doing a separate uh, TNA podcast, which may or may not come to fruition one day, um, uh, because we have we had that kind of access, we had that kind of... Um, and we had that kind of love for the company. I always used to get frustrated where I would get people on social media or people corresponding to me telling me that I was biased towards WWE and why did I hate TNA so much? And I wanted to explain to them, do you realise how easy it would be for me, how life would be great for me if TNA was the number one wrestling company in the world and how I had an easy in to everybody oh, yeah. and it would have been oh, it would have made my career virtually if they'd have been made at number one as it was they 
turned AJ Styles heel and pushed Orlando Jordan and the Nasty Boys and made a complete arse of the Monday Night Fracker. But uh, that's the way it goes. But um, what we are here to discuss is not all of those things. It's not even to um, massage my ego and Paul's any further. It is to discuss the biggest impact on impact. And what I want to say before we get into it, Paul, um, is the definition mm. here of this. Because there are very obviously two people that we need to address um, very early on. Uh, one is Jeff Jarrett, because he's the founder... And he was there from the start, mm-hmm. um, and he was champion for a lot of the time. And the other is Dixie Carter, because without her and the Carter family, uh, it would obviously clearly change the direction of the company. They are the the ownership, the management, um, call it what you will. Are we content with featuring them on this list? Because they were kind of there from well, certainly Jeff's there from the the start. Um, they're sort of upper management. If we were doing biggest impact on WWE. You know, if if we included Vince, he clearly wins. So, are we okay with doing Jeff and Dixie? Is that part of our um, discussion? What do what do you think? We actually genuinely haven't had this conversation, but I want to have it publicly no, and just make no, sure we that we haven't. know what our parameters are here. Well, it had not been something that crossed my mind to be honest. I I assume that we would have them on there. Um... I'll tell you the reason I, think... I have blindsided you because I knew you were going to say that, and I because I thought the opposite when I when I came up with the question and then we, when we put it out to people, my thought was that we would talk about um, the wrestlers, basically the people that came into the company, and that to me right. management for a set. Like if we were talking to talk twenty years down the line about the people that had the biggest impact on hookedonwrestling.co.uk, I wouldn't include you and I because we were around when it started. It would be about someone. That, joined the site in 2023 and the whole place went nuts um, so that's why but when when we did this question for the very first time which is when we did our, uh, one of our big um, wrestling quizzes a few weeks ago we put some questions out to some wrestling celebrities and I actually asked this question to, uh, to Gail Kim um, expecting her to say one of the wrestlers that came in um, during the time at, uh, at the company and she said Jeff Jarrett and it was very difficult for me to disagree with her assessment because she basically said that you know he had an impact on the people that worked around him. He was the one that founded the company, etc., etc. So um, it turned my head in terms of how to view the question, but I didn't change the wording of it because I feel it's in everyone's interpretation. So given that we've had a lot of people say Dixie and Jeff, it feels like we need to start with them and establish that we either say it's everybody but them, or we include them as the first two choices, and they're almost unmoved on the list. What do you think? How's this for a middle ground? Okay, if we assume, okay, we're saying we're saying the biggest impact on impact, the biggest impact on TNA. You're right in that if by by the letter of definition, the person who started the company and then saw it through and then invested and took it to the next level or whatever you want to call it, they they win, don't they? They have to win the whole thing. It's not really a conversation. So why don't we say why don't we pick an arbitrary point for the company started? After Dix is invested and we're all rolling, and it's an it's an effective company. So let's say like pick year t- after year two, so 2004, 2005, whatever you want. Who's got the biggest impact after that point? Once the company's established as an a going concern, who affects change on that company the most? Because otherwise, you're right. You know, like like any company, who's who's the biggest influence on it? 99% of the companies, you're going to say it's the founder um, for founding it, and it's almost an unfair advantage that nobody else compete with and renders the discussion moot so why don't we say that why don't we pick why don't we say we're dropping in on TNA once it's up and running who has the biggest impact I'm happy with that I think it just changes the topic I, I think that um, I, I thought of it as 
they are running the company who did they who was their best or and actually or worst because we when we say an impact it could be for good or for bad we're not necessarily saying um, absolutely a positive impact we didn't word it as a positive impact and that's not how we meant it it could be who was the one person that came in you know and either made it better or indeed destroyed it for you know irreparably so that's something that we will we will touch on um, so okay so what we're going to say is we're just going to put them to one side then so our, our list of five will not include uh, Jarrett or Dixie Carter but we're absolutely suggesting that without a doubt those two would be the most important people in the company's history but in terms of impact we're wording it slightly differently and they could still get on if we think they had an impact okay, beyond okay, those fine. years I, I, I'm okay I'm not, dis- I'm not, I'm not excluding them I'm just saying let's take out their founding and big investment or saving of the company in those couple of early years just to level the playing field. Let's have a quick chat about them, um, not necessarily about the uh, impact that they made, again, inverted commas occasionally here, but um, about them as individuals sure. and important to the company. And again, I'll, I'll almost turn on to interviewing you occasionally here, but um, you, Dixie has had a lot of criticism uh, from lots of places. Um, for various different reasons. Some things I think were justified, some things I don't think they were. Um, I will say this, I know Dixie Carter on a personal level. She is a lovely, lovely person. She's friendly, she's kind, she cared about her talent. Um, She was never anything but amazing with me. Um, I'm very, very fond of Dixie Carter as a woman. I couldn't tell you a great deal about her as the businesswoman without betraying any confidences. Excuse me. If people say, you know, Dixie Carter was naive, she didn't know what she was doing, she made bad choices, she let people manipulate her, would you say, in your experience, that that is a fair criticism of Dixie Carter, the businesswoman? We'll establish that we know she's a nice person, but as a businesswoman, was she naive? Was she easily manipulated? Was she at fault for some of the problems that occurred? Yes. Um, and. I, I don't particularly share some of the language that you use there. I know you're using it in literally yeah. in a questioning sense. Dixie is and was a wonderful person. Just superb. Generous, friendly, genuine, welcoming. Every you know, If you met her, you would like her, right? Simple as that. As everybody who I've ever met has said, I don't know anybody who said a bad word about Dixie professionally. She's a wonderful wonderful person um she was very difficult to um to work with um in a business sense not because she was demanding or incompetent or any of those things far from it um her priorities were probably slightly wrong um dixie's priority in owning and operating tna were to create opportunities and employment and paychecks and good experiences for as many people as possible. It's a really noble aim. Unfortunately, it doesn't really tally with the realities of running a business. Dixie wanted to be popular. She wanted to everyone to like her, um, and they did. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes that came at the expense of business. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So there was one particular... Um, Instance, and I'm not going to um, I'm not going to name the parties involved because it's not it's not relevant, it's not fair. But we were negotiating 
a really major um, broadcast contract, multi years, several million dollars per year. Um, and we were pushing this channel, right? We knew, you know, we used to work hard to do our research to understand the landscape in a country and, and, because wrestling didn't have many suitors you know it's not like there was big bidding wars like there would be for the premier league it was hard to drum up interest so it was really important that when we did that we absolutely maximized every penny we could get out of that broadcaster without pushing them to the brink and making them walk away so we researched a lot and we invested a lot of time and a lot of money in knowing the marketplace knowing a broadcaster situation this particular broadcaster we were we were negotiating with hard they'd um they'd negotiated they'd worked with tna for a while um, it had been successful. They got a very cheap deal because of the circumstances of them taking the programming on when they first did. And it was time for them to pay what was due and what was owed. Dixie had a great relationship with the head of the channel. Um, as with most Dixie relationships, they were personal. Um, you know, she got on with them, got on with them on a friendly basis. You know, you know, Christmas cards exchanged, and whenever she was in the same country as them, it was dinners and drinks, and it was all great fun. We all had a great time. The difference is, um, when it came time to negotiate, my boss and I could switch from, you know, it was the old Alex Ferguson thing, wasn't it? You, you can't be too close to your players. It's the same. You can't be too close to those you're negotiating with. Dixie was incapable of that. And unfortunately, this particular person who we were negotiating against was also an excellent negotiator, an excellent business person, an excellent at, at reading people. And um, he knew, sorry, he, yeah, he knew, he pretty much um, could lean on Dixie's personal relationship. Uh, and he did. So, you know, whenever we came across a sticking point in the deal, he'd circumvent us. Um, and we reported in our, our report in TNA was was to to Andy Barton, um, but he wouldn't even go to him. He'd go this guy goes straight to Dixie. Um, and if he didn't like if he didn't like the terms we were coming back with, he'd basically go and tell tales on us to Dixie, who would invariably come and ask us to concede the point. Um, it cost them millions over a long you know over over a period of the contract it cost them a lot of money and it cost them a lot of concessions that we were fighting for we would have got there because we knew what this channel was you know we knew the budgets we knew what the channel wanted we we knew where we were going um but unfortunately through no reason other than you know being a friendly wonderful warm person um dixie was able to be manipulated um in these negotiations and um yeah it made life very difficult it wasn't that wasn't an isolated incident that was the most stark um and was that was the biggest difficulty with dixie it was she wasn't ruthless enough um and there is a balance to be struck she just was not suit, suitable for that position um because every if if you know what wrestling's like we all know what wrestling's like it's very you know, it's full of workers and it's full of people as is the tv business it's full of people that will use whatever means they can to get what they want and whether that's force not physical force but you know like aggression in business or buttering you up to you're the best friend whatever it takes and dixie was very susceptible to the buttering up um yeah and it and it caused issues so you know it was very important as we we were we had to manage dixie um out of the process she wanted to be hands-on with all these partners because she was grateful that they were working with tna um and really wanted to show her gratitude. You know, when she when we're going to the country, she'd want to meet them and take them out for dinner and blah blah blah. 
we used to have to manage that process to make sure that relationship didn't become personal because if it got to the point where those you know the two Dixie and, and the broadcaster could have a you know a, a relationship where we weren't part of we knew that we were massively compromised and TNA's business would be massively compromised so it was it was tough managing Dixie was very very tough but for the nicest reasons I can't speak highly of enough for a person but I wouldn't necessarily want to work in those situations again Sorry, that was a bit long-winded, wasn't it? That's a fantastic insight, um, knowledgeable, um, you know, coming from a place of, you know, of genuine uh, interest. I think that, no, I don't apologise for that at all. I thought that was a, that was a terrific story, and you know, I think that um, the thing that I often heard was uh, from people that, you know, from a few of the wrestlers that I knew in the company and that you speak to off the record was um, one of the big problems in TNA from their perspective was it was always tough to work out who was in charge. Um, some of the th- things you also heard from WCW anecdotally towards the end of its time, but in TNA before the takeover, not takeover, but before the uh, uh, the, the Bischoff Hogan uh, intervention, you would hear that people didn't know whether they should go to Dutch Mantel, they didn't know if they should go to Vince Russo, they didn't know if they should go to Jeff Jarrett, they didn't know if they should go to Dixie, uh, and then after the change, they didn't know whether to go to Bischoff or to Hogan or to uh, Jeff or to Dixie and then later on or whether to go to Bruce Pritchard or to go to um, uh, what the chat that was called Big, I forget what his actual real name was um, John, John Burick. so people didn't really, there was always a sort of thing of, we don't really know who the boss is, and as I've heard people say lots of times in WWE you know, you know who the man is <laughs> if you have a problem it's Vince, that is it, there might be the head of your own brand or whatever, but everyone knows who, who is leading the charge and that always seemed to me that there was an issue with, and perhaps it was because you know let's let's face it, let's own up to this, let's not be um, coy about it. Wrestling is a sexist world, um, broadly. It's improving. It's improved a hell of a lot since it was when Dixie first got involved. But there would have been a lot of people at the time that would have gone, she's a woman, she doesn't know anything about wrestling, she, and indeed she's not been involved in wrestling before, she doesn't know anything about wrestling. So not just a sexist point, but just a a simple thing of an inclusive sure. or exclusive point. I'm not justifying that, folks. I'm not saying it's uh, good or bad. I'm just saying it's it's a reality. Um, so I think there were some people that dismissed that. You're right, Paul's right. There's some people that could play her and that tried to, others that didn't try to because they were nice, probably regret it now because they saw other people getting the opportunities above them because they knew how to politic and they weren't the right people to do so. So, uh, go on. Well, it was an interesting structure. You know, in in terms of the you know that might what you're saying might well have been true on the wrestling side and I think was but on the business side Dixie was definitely in charge and I think it was a really you know I was like I say I was working with the company for eight years and I saw people under Dixie come and I saw people under Dixie go but there was a couple of constants there was a couple of guys that were there throughout the whole thing um, and I think what Dixie was smart in doing is having people that she a couple of guys in the office that she worked with a long time that she could trust and that would be her authority on her behalf because she you know she to a degree she probably knew that she wasn't quite the authoritative figure that she needed to be when she wanted to make a decision and she was adamant on it that decision was made but she had a couple of guys that could you know almost be a hatchet man and and be that barrier between her and and people looking to manipulate her and i think it worked really well on the flip side when you know when she wanted to make a decision she made a decision i the best one i ever remember was um we were sat in a conference room in Nashville in the office, uh, lovely office, really, really like their office. Um, and we were chatting about the upcoming UK tour. And 
basically every year TNA had the the issue, I guess you could say, of trying to trying to get bums in seats. It wasn't like WWE where you could just put the name on the marquee and, and sell more. It was it was tough. You had to really stoke those fires. You had to bring over an attraction to make sure those tickets sold that hadn't been seen before. And I remember one year we were talking about what that might be. And someone in the office, um, I can't remember who, it might have been me, because so, I was a ballsy, bullish guy when I was there and I wanted to show that I knew my shit. I'm not saying it was, but it, there's a good chance it was. Um, someone suggested why don't we tape TV over there and literally in 20 minutes it was decided at TNA we were going to do their first ever international TV tapings Dixie made the decision and then basically said to everybody else in the room I think there was um, there was Je uh, Vince Russo there there was Andy Barton there was a couple of other guys Borash might have been there make it happen and it did and it was hugely successful it went really well so when Dixie wanted to be decisive she mm. really really could be um, it's just when and it was just when those personal relationships came into play that was a massive massive fault for her because she just didn't have the skill set or the um, or the mean streak I guess to to push back on those and it, it cost her and it cost the, the funny company. thing on that particular topic which I will say and I'm saying this from a personal perspective this is not you'll probably correct me business-wise, um, but I would say, actually, in terms of a pure fan going to a show and getting entertainment value, I thought that the, the tours suffered um, from the uh, from the TV element, um, because if you've ever been to a TV taping, folks, it can be a bit of a bollock, it can be a bit of a, you know, sit through various different set changes and promos, and especially if you're recording a couple of shows in the same night. Right. But the TNA, the standard of TNA UK tours for the first three, four years of them, man alive, the best house shows you'll go to, not people going through the motions, they came here and they put on a show, and they went for it. Hell for that. We had, you know, proper mega stars wrestling each other, ultimate X matches, all sorts of things, and that, not for broadcast, just for people watching because they knew that, generally speaking, they were wrestling in front of 400 people in a TV studio, and then they got to come over here, and there were 7,000 people in Wembley Arena, and it was a house show, and it was just an extra, it was the biggest yep. day of their not the career, but the biggest day of the year for some of those wrestlers because they got to forget whether you're on telly, forget whether you're on pay per view. Wembley Arena house shows legitimately would have had more people watching than some TNA pay per views, and that ain't an exaggeration, folks. It was that bigger crowd and that smaller pay-per-view universe, and so it's you know it was a really big deal. You're absolutely right. TV was the right thing to happen. Um, it certainly brought in more eyeballs. It got a bigger crew coming over, so it meant that more stars came over. It worked. The the, the shows um, uh, were still quite decent. The crowds were certainly excellent. But I, I do kind of miss the old uh, the TNA house show that was uh, that was a lot of fun in the uh, in the early days. Um, just to wrap up about uh, talking about Dixie uh, in specific, how did things change um, from your perspective once Hogan and Bischoff came in? Um, because there's always the suggestion of like, on on face value, the idea was that Hogan was you know on the same level as Dixie. He was a co um, co owner or whatever it might have been. My understanding is that that's not really true. He was still basically an employee, um, but he was he was positioned in a in a in a position where he was made to look like he'd invested as opposed to just being an employee. Um, I also I also heard right. that again I'm I'm hearing rumours here. I also heard that Hogan was employed and he employed Bischoff. I also heard that Bischoff was employed and he employed Hogan. 
I think people still struggled with the power structure and whatever, but it became a Bischoff-Hogan driven show. Um, Bischoff being the creative force, Hogan maybe being the face. Where did Dixie fit into all that? And uh, is what I've just said in terms of their acquisitions, am I talking rubbish in terms of what I've heard? Okay, well, let me preface this by saying what I'm saying with somewhat of a pinch of salt. Some things I know as facts, some things I've been told contradictory stories and I need to make up my own mind depending on who I trust and some things are just plain bollocks. Um, Hogan, when Hogan and Bischoff came in, Hogan in particular was an extremely low ebb. Okay, He took that job because he needed the money. There was no leverage. Um, Hogan came in with no leverage. He came in because he needed a payday and he needed regular money and TNA needed Hulk Hogan. And indeed, for me, Hogan coming into TNA was a fantastic development. You know, the, the one the story I used to tell, every year when I was working with, with the company, I used to go to a market, an event called Sportel. What Sportel was was three days in Monaco, Monte Carlo, where all the sports rights holders from around the world and the agents that worked on their behalf would would go to this market. It was us, there was the Premier League, there was the NBA, there was the NFL, in fact, there was WWE. Now, I've, on two occasions, I've shut down an Irish bar in Monaco with Shane McMahon doing shots, um, which is pretty fun. Um, and then you get all the channels coming as well. So you're there pitching to these channels and trying to do it for the first couple of years with TNA was difficult because no one had heard of any of these guys so if they didn't like wrestling there's nothing to hang your hat on in terms of a pitch when Hogan came in and I could slap a slap a piece of marketing material on the table with Hulk Hogan on it the conversations changed markedly and my approach was my, my meetings went much better it was so much easier to get people's interest in TNA with Hogan involved um, so he was a real big help for me um, from what I understand Hogan and Bischoff were a package I believe that the contractual arrangement was with Bischoff, who then paid Hogan as an employee. They came as a package together. They were contracted rights, but there was no question of them ever being the boss. You know, my my let chain of command never, ever changed. You know, Bischoff, as he says in his podcast, quite rightly, was never remotely involved with the business of TNA. The only times I ever came into contact with Eric Bischoff was backstage at Wembley when he was producing the shows um, he did more of that than he admits okay he was more involved in the production of the show than he will admit he was everywhere he had his hands all over it not just the Hogan stuff and he did a really good job in my opinion he's very good at that um, Hogan the only times I ever saw him was when we were taking you know we'd go out for dinner with broadcasters and rights holders and we'd go out together and do that so I saw him there but never once were they involved in any sort of decision making on any management conference calls that just wasn't the case so from my point of view uh, in terms of my relationships and Dixie's position and everybody else's position nothing changed when Hogan came in it all changed on screen um, and the stakes were higher absolutely the pressure went up because the company wanted to make that push to the next level that we, we all know never came but um, but they were employees. They were contractors, just the same as everybody else. Another great answer. Thank you. And I realise I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. I will. I promise you, everybody. Paul and I have not discussed this podcast outside of some very very basics of when should we do the poll from last week, etc. Um, so I deliberately have kept a few of these things that I'm asking him um, from him because I want to get a genuine reaction. He also knows he can tell me to f off and stop asking these questions if if he wants to but i'm <laughs> but will, i'm being I a journalist will. and I'm, I'm trying to push you so um i always heard that bischoff was running the show 
not from a business perspective, but from a TV perspective. That you're right. I believe that he does not quite let on just how important he was. You know, sometimes Hogan said he was a co-owner. Sometimes Hogan said he was head of creative. Blah blah blah. I always heard that Eric was running the show, um, creatively. So yeah, um, make of that what you will, everybody. Um, but that's always what I was told about uh, Bischoff from from people in the company during that sort of era. Um, well, I think we've kind of done Dixie to death. We've we've, we've touched on. Um, Hogan and Bischoff we'll come back to them but a, a, a quick one on Jeff it's not really something to go too much deeper uh, Jeff has lived his life quite openly um, you know since he's been around for, for TNA whether it has been uh, the uh, marital side of things with him and Karen uh, and Kurt obviously uh, whether it has been uh, the fact that fairly well publicised uh, that he's had spells in rehab um, all that kind of thing uh, and he's been in and out of the inner circle in terms of the company because of his um, situations in, in various different ways um, we don't really need to go into any of that lots of that's been lived in the in the public domain um, that's all there for everyone to see um, what I will ask you a little bit about is in the early days Paul and possibly before you were there but you still have an opinion on it um, Jeff was mm. very much the guy in the early years of TNA the fairground years the, the fledgling years on, on uh, Fox Sports and then into Spike um, you know, Jarrett dominated. He dominated in a way that Dusty Rhodes had dominated in Florida, uh, in a way that Vern Gagne had dominated in the AWA. Um, very much the idea of people might be frustrated at seeing, oh, the Booker's just put it on the, the title on himself again. He's put himself in the main event again. But at the same time, TNA was very much a company where, if any of their originals started to take off, they were very liable to disappear and go somewhere else. So it kind of made sense for him to have the belt on himself and have the main focus of the show on himself because he knew he can trust himself and he knew he wasn't going away. Um, I have never got a sense from Jeff Jarrett, knowing him personally, once again, Paul knows him better than I, but I do know Jeff. I have never got a massive ego thing from Jeff. He doesn't strike me as being a real stroke my ego, <laughs> for, for want of a better phrase. I've never thought of him as being much of an ain't I great kind of person. That's not how I get Jeff. Um, I just wanted your personal opinions on Jeff Jarrett. Mine, again, are very favourable, always very nice to me. Every now and again I've realised that he knows he's the head of a company so he needs to be nice, but at the same time I've met him subsequently after he's been involved with TNA and I've still got on with the guy really well. I, I Again, I think he's a good human being. I would agree with that. I, um, I've got a lot of time for Jeff. And I think, in a lot of ways, Jeff and I have a very similar outlook on life, which is why I think we got on quite well. Jeff is always looking for a deal, right? Jeff, in in the best possible sense of the word, not in the negative, not with the negative connotations. Jeff is a hustler. Jeff's never happy. Jeff always wants to see. Jeff always wants to be looking. What can I do? What's the opportunity here? What you know? Where can this go? What can? How can this be improved? How can this be monetized? It's just, you know, spending time with him is both rewarding and absolutely exhausting because his mind never, ever stops. He always is trying to, to find that edge. And that's what gave him the drive to start TNA. You know, he was, you know, that company was, you know, all right, the business model was bad to start with. He'll be the first to admit that. But he willed that company into existence. And he kept that company going um in the early years, obviously Dixie put in the money. Very, very early into the process, he wasn't the majority shareholder anymore, but he was definitely the, the driving interest in that company. Dixie couldn't have done it, you know, best will in the world. She, like you say, she was, 
She was not knowledgeable about wrestling. She was not knowledgeable about how it or TV worked at all. And Jeff was still the guy in charge. That had changed by the time I joined the company. But, you know, knowing what I know about Jeff, I understand why TNA came to where it was because Jeff will have spent every waking moment looking about how he could improve that company. And I can honestly tell you that he's unlike any person I've ever met before in that regard like I say you know again I sound like I'm dropping so many names this episode and I guess I am um, but you know I've, I've spent I've also spent a lot of time with Shane McMahon when he was working with WWE and while he was on his hiatus from WWE and he's a very chilled out guy like he's a very different guy to Jeff I can imagine that Vince McMahon has a lot more in common or certainly in his early years he's probably calmed down now but I think there's a lot of Vince McMahon and Jeff and vice versa I think they're probably they probably maybe that's why they butted heads back in the day because they are very very much on the same path in life and I give Jeff all you know I give him masses of credit for, for keeping that TNA train on the rails against insurmountable odds in those early years you know moving to Fox Sport in the afternoon and seeing where it could go that's all on him right that is all on him it might not have been his money ultimately it was his vision and it was his drive and it was his passion and his relationships and his negotiating ability that got TNA to where it was so that's my take on Jeff that's a very fair one and we, we could go in deeper on that but I don't think we I, don't think, I think we need to get to other people so we could um, we, we, we could yeah, be a long yeah, time yeah, yeah. In, in going into that but I do want to note that I think that Jeff Jarrett I think Jeff Jarrett is an underrated wrestling mind I think if someone started up a brand new company from scratch, okay, for example, I think it's not going to happen. I don't think, but I think if AEW appointed Jeff Jarrett in some front office role, head of creative, head of whatever, I don't think it would be a mistake. People would say, "Oh no, that's the TNA Absolutely. guy. Oh, it's going to happen to TNA." I go, "No, he knows what he's doing. He's smart. I bet he's a good agent. He's a good creative guy. I probably wouldn't have him in charge of anything." Because of it didn't quite work in TNA, but if they put him in a you know a responsible role, very much like Paul Heyman is at the moment in WWE, um, where there was people above Jeff, but he had responsibility for some things. I think he'd be very right. very good at it. He's got a great wrestling mind. He's a likable oh. individual. He was a good wrestler. He's a better wrestler than people give him credit for. If Paul Heyman retired tomorrow, Jeff Jarrett would be the natural. Yeah, he would work. It would be good. Because actually, company. there's not many people. He, he was. I was so There's pleased. not many people anymore that have that sort of experience. So that very, very strange day when we all found out that Heyman was in charge of one show and Bischoff was in charge of the other, and even after Bischoff went, you know, Bruce Pritchard came back in. You know, you're appointing people that were in positions of power 15, 20 years earlier, but effectively there are nobody. There is nobody else in wrestling that has that experience because everyone else in WWE is subordinate to the McMahons and Triple H and is a writer so even someone like a, a Brian Gewertz or whatever they're writers as opposed to bookers and so there's only the McMahons that have got that sort of experience in that company there's only Bischoff and Heyman because of their time with ECW and WCW so actually when you look around everywhere Double J is about the only person that's been existed in that sort of world and has experience of it. You're absolutely right. He would be the natural successor if Paul Heyman were to leave for any sort of reason. It would be a very strange day. Actually, I've missed out one person. I've missed out Vince Russo. But we, we could, there's and very possibly Jim Jim Cornette. But there are reasons why you shouldn't. You know, don't need to talk about those two right now. So. Um, it's an absolute. You know, it would be a. It would be a very, very strange day if Double J Jeff Jarrett was the head of Raw, but 
I wouldn't rule it. I wouldn't rule it out. If I was Paddy Power or something, I'd give you. I wouldn't give you much more than about nine to four that will happen in the next couple of years. It's um, you know, I think it's a very distinct possibility. Yep, fully agree. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, and for that reason, I think Jeff is an absolute nailed-on number on okay, our list. Okay, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, in terms of uh, other people, um, I want to start very quickly, and this is I do mean quickly, with a couple of people that didn't make the list because they never actually went to the company. But what I am interested in is that there were times, Paul, again, I want to know if you have any knowledge about this, where there were other people that were explored that could have been creative heads. So we ended up having Hogan and Bischoff, but there was a very, very strong rumour at one point that Paul Heyman was being sounded out as being someone that could basically run TNA on the wrestling side. There was a suggestion that he might try, a, try and hire J- Jim Ross, and if Paul Heyman did not get the job, then maybe Jim Ross was someone that could have gone in there on a, on a major um, office level. I think both of those individuals have admitted talking to TNA at some stage, the landscape of wrestling could have been very, very different had either or both of them become TNA wrestling employees on one level or another. Do you not think? Yeah, absolutely. And I had zero knowledge of that. That was not a conversation that was ever, you know, on our level and nor should it have been. It was none of our business. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it would have been, it would have been potentially a game changer. It depends how, again, the problem was Dixie ran that company because she wanted to, she enjoyed it and she didn't want to give up too much power. And I think that's probably if those conversations did derail, that could have been a big factor because, you know, to, for those guys to flex their muscles, um, as it were in the positions they would have been most useful in, Dixie would have had to essentially resign. Um, and ultimately the whole reason the company was bought by Panda in the first place was to put Dixie in that position so ultimately towards the end of the the Dixie reign it became quite clear that um, keeping that job was was very very important to her Um, and I don't think she'd have ever I don't think there's anybody that could have come in uh, and she'd have been willing to to concede power to and she would have needed to certainly with Ross um, for those guys to truly make a difference otherwise you just got another guy toiling away banging his head against the ceiling of ultimate frustration and what Paul Heyman would have been there weeks rather than months if that had been the case um, so yeah it would have had to it would have had to been at Dixie's expense rather than working okay, with, her, with her I think I hadn't really considered on that front I, th- I sort of had it more that for Heyman for example I had it in my mind would have come in more as a uh, a Bischoff or a, a Pritchard style appointment, you know, a head of creative style appointment, as opposed to a, a taking over the company appointment. But but I always felt that the most interesting thing that I heard from Heyman was that part of Heyman's pitch was, okay, if I get the job, there is one man that I want to employ who is not in WWE or TNA right now and I want to bring him in and I want to build the company around him and do you know who that is? It was, was it Brian Chris Jericho? Long, was it really? Brian wow, Danielson okay. was the champion of Ring of Honor or at least one of the mainstays of Ring of Honor and before he joined WWE on any level Paul Heyman was around was, was being touted for the TNA thing and my understanding is that he spoke to them and he said if I get this job, I want to bring in Brian Danielson and make him the centerpiece of this company. 
Well, he was right, wasn't wow. he? I mean, it ended up happening in WWE several years later. It'd be interesting to see what would have happened. had. So had Paul Heyman got that job and brought in Brian Danielson, what would the wrestling landscape have looked like? Would they have got nowhere because still no one would have heard of Brian Danielson because TNA wasn't that much bigger than Ring of Honor? And so Daniel Bryan taking off in front of the WWE Universe was the only way that Daniel Bryan could have got over? Or would he have been the greatest wrestler on the planet, having wrestling matches with AJ Styles, and they would have got all the wrestling fans' attention away, and they would have still steadily built themselves up. Who knows? What I would like to see is I'd really like to see Daniel Bryan wrestle AJ Styles. What about you, Paul? Yeah, it'd be quite good. Do you know when we I can do. catch It'll that? Be on, in a week where they're touting Edge versus Randy Orton as the greatest wrestling <laughs> match ever, two days before it, Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles. That is a little bit like One Direction being said that they're the greatest rock band ever and they have to go on after the Rolling Stones. It's, it's not really quite working for them, is it, that one? Um, but there we go. Okay, we've talked about a couple of people that didn't quite um, have an impact on impact. Let's really get on to some of the ones that did. Um, let's maybe wrap up the out-of-ring stuff before we get into the wrestlers. Um, so... Okay. Uh, I want to keep Hogan and Bischoff back for the time being. Um, he's a polarising figure, but he's one that's come up in the chat. What about Vince Russo? Yeah, I saw his name mentioned, and I've actually written him down. Um... Oh, where to start okay. with Vince Russo? Obviously, the, the, there's, there's no discussion. There's no discussion about him having a positive impact on TNA because he didn't. He didn't have a positive into a impact anywhere he went, other than you know those few you know 18 months, two years in WWE when he was a part of a much bigger machine. Okay, let's stop um, you there. I'm going to stop you there. What? What would? What, when would you have said he? When was he working for the company? When was he working for TNA? Well, I. <sighs> It's a really good. He had three or four stints, didn't he? He had the early years. Um, then he had that stint in what would I guess? Cause I know I've, he's been in. The, I've been in the office when Vince Russo has been there. I've had a conversation with Vince Russo, so it must have been about you know 2010, 11-ish. I guess he was there for a while, and then he had that secret stint at the end. I think that's it. I think. I think they're well, the I only time. I don't believe that. Could be wrong. It. I don't believe that is it at all. I think he was around a bit before that, and uh, I would also say that. I would think one of the when would you have said that in your opinion as a fan not in terms of ratings not in terms of revenue um, as a fan when would you have said was TNA's creative peak um, when did you enjoy the show the most two answers really. two answers really. yeah two answers really so um, on, a, as a, on a sustained basis it would have been sort of the year it'd been the period around you know when Kurt Angle came in and when you had him against Samoa Joe and you had the big triple threat uh, you know you had Daniels Joe and um, AJ Styles all sort of migrating into the main event from the X Division that and also um, in those just pre-Hogan years really when you had Desmond Wolf and you had Ken Anderson um and then Styles and whoever else up there in the main event, they'd, they'd be my two for me. And obviously, when the tag teams were running Riot as well, so I think that was probably the same. You know, when you got Beer Money, Motor City Machine Guns, Team 3D, that was about the same time first, too. So, first of all, two. I'm fairly confident that Ken Anderson and Desmond Wolf were Hogan era. Um, but that's another that's could be that's, fair, that's fair another enough, chat for enough. another time. But um, I feel that as a fan, I liked TNA the most around just before and during 
the time where you had the main event mafia. I thought the build into the main event mafia okay. at around about that time, where those guys were around, so there was star power, but there was also. So you had your stars, you had your Nashes and your Steiners, Booker T, Stings, but you also had um, people such as AJ, Daniels, Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle, uh, or Kurt Angle would be with the stars, I suppose. But then you also had the X Division, which you know at that point was you starting to transition into more of your Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Amazing Red, Petey Williams, that sort of X Division era. You had the tag teams, which were when you the emergence yep. of Beer Money, the Motor City Machine Guns, as you said, Team 3D, um, the British Invasion, um, that sort of era. The, and then, of course, the, the women, uh, Taylor Wilde, Gail Kim, Awesome Kong, the Beautiful People, Roxy, um, you know, um, that sort of era. So to me, I, I particularly love that era. I'm fairly certain that, um, that Vince Russo was booking. I think Vince Russo was the head booker, the head writer of TNA during their best creative time. That's my opinion. It's an opinion, so it's not a fact, and it's also not a uh, something anything stands up in a business perspective. But I do not think that Vince Russo was a negative thing for TNA wrestling. I also don't think he was a particularly positive thing for TNA wrestling. I think he was there at the time. I think the talent that they had carried them a lot. I think that the booking was done by Jeff and by Russo and by Dutch Mantel, who I was always told was a very creative individual and was very good on that side of things. So I don't think that uh, Russo plays in. I don't think the Russo equals negative um, plays in. I know that Russo was there when Bischoff and that took over because there was lots of chats about how they would get on and they said they would be fine and it didn't last very long. But um, to my knowledge, Vince Russo was part of the booking team for a couple of years before... Um, Hogan and, and Bischoff came in and to me he didn't have a particularly negative effect because I really liked TNA at that period how, how, how's that sound? Well if, you're, if what you're saying is right then I can't argue with it because it was a great period I don't know enough to, to make an assessment but if if that is correct then yeah sure he's in the conversation I don't, I, I don't think he's going to make my um, top I suppose I'm I don't I think he's going to make my top five in fact I'm talking him, I'm talking him out of it because I'm actually saying that I don't think he had much of an impact what I am saying is that I'm addressing the kind of Russo equals poison thing I certainly think he's well I was going to say he's not as highly rated as he is in his own mind but I think Jesus isn't quite as highly rated in his own mind as Vince Russo thinks he is but I just don't think that Vince Russo equals bad is a, is a, is a fair narrative. He's bloody awful in WCW, and he's had some bloody awful ideas wherever he's been, but I just think his TNA stint, I, just, I don't think it, his years tally with TNA equals bad. I, I simply don't. I would argue that Eric Bischoff, in his era in charge of creative, had far more bad for business ideas than Vince Russo did in that particular company. Fair enough. And like I say, I can't. Uh, my first reaction there would have been to say, yeah, I agree with you, but I can't agree or disagree because I just don't know. I just don't know when he was there well enough and what he did to to say anything with any confidence on it. So I'm sorry that's a bit of a cop out, but I don't want to. I don't want to just make assumptions based on Fair what is. I think on it. And before we do a Hogan Bischoff chat, because we do need to do a brief one, um, another off-screen name to mention because it certainly came up in the. Uh, let me see if I can find exactly who it was that mentioned it in the uh, in the Facebook page. But uh, I think it's a fair person to not uh, to 
to bring up because he, he was well known within the company for his enthusiasm. He's ended up, you know, going on and further. Um, in fact, it was Francis who said, when I think of who made the most positive impact on TNA, it was Jeremy Borash. And he goes on a lot more to talk about other things that he's done. Um, but, you know, I don't think he's, again, I don't instinctively think he's going to make a list of five, but I think it's worth pointing out that very few people seem to do quite as much behind the scenes and all over the place as JB did in that company. He is on my list. Okay. You know, he was never a man that I'm never, I don't know that he was ever truly a man in power, as it were. But nobody carried the load. And I mean this, I know this for a fact. Nobody carried the load in that company like JB. He did everything. He worked so hard on their production, on them. Uh, on their marketing, on their new media, on their digital media, on their social media, you know, you know, put, you know, there was a lot of on-screen input he had into the creative as well. He, he was the company in terms of the day-to-day work and what you saw on screen. It was built on Jeremy Boris's back. Simple as that. There was a reason why Jeff Jarrett brought him in. And there's a reason why he continues to thrive to this day. You know, he is very, very highly thought of by some of the most influential people in the world of wrestling, in wrestling history right now. And I'm so pleased he's getting his due because he carried that company in terms of workload. And I can't say enough good things about the guy. You know, he was he was just phenomenal for them. So um, he's definitely... Be, I don't know if it'd be fair to put him on a broader list, but he's on my okay, list I'm with personally. You. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That, 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 that's a subtle distinction. Um, I certainly thought he needed to be brought up into the conversation because um, what people see on screen, they can make their own judgment about. You know, if you like or you dislike a wrestler that you see on screen, they're overpushed, they're underpushed, they're against the right opponents, they've got the wrong title belt, whatever. You can make that judgment. You're a viewer. You're entitled to. But some people simply do not have the backstage access. They can read what they read online, but they cannot necessarily know what goes on. And I know from my experience, again, yours is more that Borash was everywhere. And everyone that's listening to this podcast in Britain, in the UK, um, Jeremy Borash might be the single most important person in terms of the UK being not just the second market for TNA but almost 1B they were almost USA 1A UK 1B they genuinely thought enough of our market and JB was huge to do with that he did have some extra connections to this country as well as just the the, the business side but um, he was huge in terms of understanding our culture and how we viewed wrestling over here wanting to do other things um, and again, someone that, in terms of my dealings with him, you know, just I've never been anything other than massively impressed by the guy. You talked about British boot camp earlier on. You were part of a conversation that uh, that brought it to TV. He basically that was basically his show, wasn't it? That was basically a Jeremy Bo- Jeremy Borash cool. production, start to finish. Um, and Absolutely. even then, you go on to the. We're talking about we, we we have a tendency to fall into the trap of talking about the golden era of TNA or our era of TNA being that sort of roughly speaking 2006 to 2012 or 13 era um, but it is also worth noting that JB was with the company for much longer than that and that he is credited alongside of Matt Hardy of, with the ultimate deletion stuff 
um, something that I didn't like, but I have to admit they had a huge impact on wrestling. If we hadn't have seen Matt Hardy's delete, 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 broken Matt Hardy, would we have seen the Boneyard match? Would we have seen the Firefly Funhouse? Would we have seen, um, you know, uh, what, what was that nonsense that was on the, the AEW pay-per-view the other week? What was that called? Um Ah, that nonsense was the awesome stadium stamp. Uh, stadium stamp. Um, it was, you know, you know, all of that <laughs> stuff. I, I don't like it, but I can't deny it's not had a huge, huge impact on wrestling over the last little while. If this was impact on wrestling, I actually feel that JB might be even higher up the list because of what he did alongside Matt Hardy. You might well be right. He. Um... You know, it's funny, Triple H touched on this in his um, in-house post-show, in-your-house post-show conference call. Um, he credited JB, he, he uh, sorry, credited Matt Hardy um, and JB as, as doing good stuff with his cinematic stuff, but he also said that they'd been doing this long before, and he checked, he name-checked the, uh, the Booker T, Steve Austin supermarket, um, Jackass on aisle eight, or whatever it was, you know, that, that skit they did. But yeah, of course, like they, they drove it and they ran it and these things have been, you know, you like them or you don't like them. And I've, I've liked some, I've hated others, but they're a really important part of these last couple of months, especially in terms of WrestleMania. And uh, yeah, I think he, I would suggest that he was, he played the, the integral role, especially on the Boneyard match, wouldn't you say? I know it's been heavily rumored that's the case. And from what I know, about the guy and about his relationships, I would suggest he was probably the the guy. Um, so yeah, I think you know, in terms of his influence on the last few months, he's probably right up. It's there. another topic for another day, but I will say the boneyard match of all of those. Let's call them cinematic matches, as you just put it. Um, that's easily my favourite of all of those, easily because I don't like the other stuff because I, I I feel it's um, uh, most of the time it's been a little bit dream sequency. Uh, and then on Sunday, I just I just thought it was boring with the match with Adam Cole, Vil Velveteen Dream. Yeah, Two people I'm a huge fan. If they'd have just simply gone into the ring and had a 25-minute wrestling match, it would have been absolutely tremendous. And they tried to make it something it was. It's the kind of thing you need to do with people to hide their weaknesses. At this stage in Undertaker's career, you need to hide his weaknesses. I mean, AJ Styles is still amazing, but you need to hide Undertaker's weaknesses. So fair enough to do a cinematic masterpiece. Right. Adam Cole's one of the best wrestlers in the world. You don't need to hide Adam Cole's weaknesses. Yeah. A Velveteen Dream has a character that jumps off the screen at you. Just let them wrestle. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to talk about In Your House, and I have done. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Right. I want to do Hogan and Bischoff before we go on to wrestlers. And it, I, it is a one-off question, um, and it's just, I'm going to make it dead straightforward and simple. Paul, in your experience working with the company, in terms of the impact that they made on the company, and we have to put them together. We might have to put them separately on the poll, but we have to talk about them together because they came as a package. Hogan and Bischoff, are they on the list? Have they made a big enough impact? Do we put them in a position where we need to, others to knock them off? What do you think? Yes, yes, yes. They're on the list. Um, they, you know, and I again, I'm talking this slightly from the inside baseball way of things, but they changed everything in the business terms of TNA. And I'm not just talking all positive. They may well have derailed the whole thing. We don't know. We don't know where TNA was going because it was on a definitive path with um, a certain creative mindset and a certain business mindset and then Bischoff and Hogan came in they ripped that up started again um, and it went somewhere completely different so I would say there's nobody 
uh, no no figure or no figures in TNA that have had a bigger overall impact, in my opinion. But that wasn't all good and it wasn't all bad. You know, Hogan brought an enormous amount of eyeballs and an enormous amount of credibility to TNA. I don't care what anyone says. What really matters is that people who didn't know about TNA did know about TNA suddenly. Did TNA maximize that opportunity? Absolutely not. They filled the screens with the Nasty Boys and Orlando Jordan and, you know, was it was Bruce the Barber Beef no, I, don't think I, I suppose he I don't probably think they was. Did, I, think, I don't know. Wasn't there the but rumor the nasty... that Brutus Magnus went just to Magnus because the rumor was that they were going to bring in Brutus Beefcake and there couldn't be two Brutuses. Oh, but God, Nick says really that's right. not true. I don't, I don't think that was true. It's just nonsense. Right. But, but they certainly did okay. bring in, you know... Uh, well, the Nasty Boys but, were worse. But the he, Nasty he, Boys were bad enough. They were just, you know, they had no... But even people like Sean Morley... Yeah, you know, Sean, no... Sean Morley was a good wrestler. Val Venus was a good yeah. character. But by 2010, no one needed Sean Morley in wrestling anymore in 2010. And that was always going to push back someone like a James Storm or a Chris Sabin, you know, or Jay Lethal. Sure. And it was like, I think those were the bigger problems. Hogan was never a problem. You know, if you have someone that's like, that's like when people moan about The Rock coming back for WrestleMania. Please. If you can have The Rock on your show, have him on your show. Goldberg, different conversation. You know, you know, Batista, different conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Rock, behave. Rock is on your show whenever he wants to be, and whether you know that's. Re- and so is Hogan. You know, Hogan, well, Hogan's a different conversation now about because of the racist thing. But in terms of if you go into the at, back then in 2010, it was a brilliant move from TNA. It was a very similar move to WCW in 1994. Um, you know, to, to have him he, if he's free and he can add credibility. Absolutely. Creatively, the company took, for me, a far worse turn around there. And so my instinct as a fan, and not necessarily someone knowing the inners, ins and outs, is is critical of Bischoff, if Bischoff was the person that was dealing with all this. Because I think the TNA product of 2010 was poor compared to two good years before it. They did things like turn AJ Styles heel, which was absolutely tone deaf. People that we've just mentioned to overshadow some of the originals that the fans loved, and more importantly, by the end of the period, the first year or so, they had brought in Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Rob Van Dam and Jeff Hardy and however many other people who must have been on big money, and the ratings did diddly squat. It never moved. They tried the Monday night thing. I still don't think that was a problem. I still think that was a good idea. Um, I still think it was a, you know something they it was worth doing and they were because WWE was struggling at the time but what happened was TNA went to a Monday or at least temporarily went to a Monday for a couple of efforts then went full time they happened to coincide it with WWE having an amazing build up to WrestleMania 26 WWE in the first four months of, two, of uh, what would have been 2010 were absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It's one of the best underrated periods of Raw ever. And TNA came up against that and they made some bad decisions of their own. So they thought WWE were weak. WWE stepped it up and TNA went worse. And that is one of the biggest problems. And that is why I would have Eric Bischoff on this list and Hulk Hogan on this list because they made a big impact for completely the wrong reasons. I think Eric Bischoff, time will suggest that he was poisonous to that company, that nothing good came of him coming in, 
apart from some production things, but creatively, production-wise, things went up. Creatively, they absolutely did not go up. The, the acquisitions were terrible, and the focus that they had was terrible. The only good thing in that era, really, that came out of it was the, was the Fortune faction, and even then, that started off as a heel four horsemen that didn't work, and then and they had to spin it off as a babyface faction that broke off from Immortal. And in fact, I think I'm talking 2011 by the time that got going anyway. Um, so that's my admittedly rather scathing view of that. But your your Hogan point is absolutely valid. Had they just used him in the right manner as just an authority figure that very, 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 very occasionally wrestled um, and kept him babyface the whole time, it was a terrible decision to turn him heel. Um, and try and do the whole NWA thing again. It didn't work. Um, they would have been so much better off just having him appear here and there. Because well, look, I, what the comparison I would make is that there are sometimes people that, in this country, uh, suggest that they don't like the royal family. Wouldn't have the royal family. They're Republicans. Royal family are a drain on society. Blah 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 blah. Not getting into that debate. It's a long one. But those that will support the royal family will always talk to you about it's something that the country is famous for it's something that draws tourism it draws eyeballs it is something unique and different about the United Kingdom and and Hulk Hogan frankly is the Queen I know last week that Bret Hart was Tom Hanks this week Hulk Hogan is Queen Elizabeth II but it's the right kind of comparison he absolutely draws eyeballs he draws tourism he draws interest all of your points that you said earlier on about talking to people TNA what's TNA it's the company Hulk Hogan works for and by the way to a lesser extent Ric Flair works for it, you know, those, Ric Flair was a good acquisition for TNA, even though he didn't always know where he was. But it was those sorts of figureheads, fine. But I do feel that the, I include Bischoff on this list, but I do think of him as being a negative. Look, here's what I'll say. I don't want to get too far into this because it's it's a different ramp for a different time. But you know, you mentioned about how the ratings didn't go up when Hogan and Bischoff came in. Unquestionably, mm-hmm. you are right. Right. Ultimately. It was a failed experiment. I'm not trying to argue that. It didn't work. It set the company off on a bad path that they never truly recovered from. What was never discussed at the time, you know, you talk about, you know, what you're insinuating when you say the ratings didn't go up is they added X amount to the Yeah, they spent so much more money. Sorry, added X amount to the, co- to, yeah. the, to the cost base but didn't get any money back. It was a bad return on investment. Our revenues went up significantly okay. in the year after... Hulk Hogan came in. I'm not. Di- I'm not saying I'm directly attributing that to Hulk Hogan, but it's probably not a massive coincidence. We got more deals. We increased the value of our existing deals, and it just you know people like spending time. Okay, with I'm, Hulk I'm Hogan. not disputing that. You know, I'm not disputing, was... Sorry to interrupt, but I'm not disputing that. No, but what I'm saying. Sorry, I am. No, 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 no. I am getting into a bit wrong. What I'm saying is the reporting that people. I'm having a little dig at the wider wrestling media. You know, there's never two sides to the story. Like, yes, the ratings didn't go up. And I'm not having a go at you here at all. I'm, I'm more talking you about the reporting at the way. time. Yes, the ratings didn't go up. Yes, it didn't work. But there are more factors to consider. There are always more factors to consider than you get talked about. We are treated, honestly, the, the, the general status of re- journalism in wrestling and I'm talking journalism in its purest form as in searching out and reporting accurately on news stories is incredibly poor incredibly poor no other industry in the world would settle for the terrible 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 standard of journalism that the wrestling industry puts up with it's awful they make no attempt to uncover the, the true story they just use the you know, 
what little information they're spoon fed and what helps feed the feed narrative. And I'm not just talking about Dave Meltzer, but obviously he's a poster boy for it. This infuriated me back then. We couldn't, obviously, we weren't going to make all this information public because it wasn't their business. But they never, nobody ever, nobody once put in a call to us. It was very public, you know, that we worked for TNA. We, it was very, very easy to find out that we were the ones doing the deals for, on TNA's behalf. No one ever, ever once tried to make any sort of attempt to contact us to discuss. And, and any other journalist in any other field would have at least tried to get the information. We would have never given them it. But they would have at least made an attempt. No one ever. Okay, did. I'm going to dispute that straight off. I'm going to dispute a lot, that straight off because we absolutely—that's the kind of thing that we would look to try and do. Uh, and we got stonewalled on things like that from from all sides because no companies do want to talk about that kind of thing. So I dispute that on one front. Um, I don't think wrestling helps itself because wrestling still has this ludicrous, old-fashioned uh, idea that we have to do certain things kayfabe. Like even in Cody Rhodes's media chat before Double or Nothing the other week. Um, you know, someone asked about his match, and he still had to go into the, you know, I'm going to try really hard, and hopefully I'll be able to beat him, sort of thing. And it's like, come on, man, you're doing, a, you know, you're doing a chat in front of everybody. Everyone knows the game. You know, it is like Clint Eastwood promoting his new film and saying, I really hope I beat the bad guys. It's like, fuck off, Clint. We understand how it works. And it's like, I still don't think wrestling helps itself doing that kind of thing. Um, it shuts up shop. And I would imagine, bear in mind that Dave Meltzer and Wade Keller as the two leading fronts of these, and add in Mike Johnson, you know, between them have got probably 60, 70 years of experience between them. They are probably so fed up of having their head banged against the doors and having people lie to them. Um, they've ended up going, do you know what, sod it, I'll do it my own way. That's, that's not acceptable either. And you're right that the standard of journalism... No, I wouldn't suggest that the standard of journalism is as bad as you say. What I will say is that the standard of accuracy from what I have subsequently learned I don't consider myself a wrestling journalist anymore I am a wrestling writer I'm a wrestling broadcaster podcaster call me what you will I don't I'm not anywhere near yes. as involved as I used to be but at one point I was a wrestling journalist so I come under the guise of your criticism and I do not accept your criticism of that particular era because we were always stonewalled by all the major companies whenever we tried to go down the business route no one gave us the time of day and everything that to be kayfabe and we could never talk about that kind of thing it was basically the equivalent it was go on it was slightly different for you because you know you like you said right early on that you were you had a symbiotic relationship with TNA. It wouldn't have wouldn't have done you any good in the long run. No, but uh, but it also wasn't. You know you you know you might have got a story the, the, industry, the company that I worked for. Let's face it. I don't I don't ever def listen. People have a pop at me for having worked for the Sun, right? And I understand why they do. The Sun is not a newspaper I like. It's not a newspaper I read. Um, I find that their their stance on things tends to be very poor. Um, but they, they employed me for a time and I understood that while I was there it is an entertainment uh, it is more of an entertainment newspaper than it is a journalisty newspaper that's just the way it is that's life I'm afraid everybody that's just the way things are and so it didn't behoove us to go down the, it was better for us to get a slightly sensationalist CM Punk and Maria have split up headline than it did uh, you know, this is TNA's business plan for the next, you know, 14 months. Um, that doesn't mean that I didn't ask, and that doesn't mean that I, because there was a time where we were getting into the Monday Night War thing, uh, or Monday Night Skirmish, as I often call it, um, 
just after that period when it was still a Hogan and Bischoff thing and I did try and dig around for things such as that and I wanted to know things like that and I was stonewalled about it so I'm, that, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth it wasn't the biggest it wasn't the, it wasn't no, the biggest fine. big deals to me because it wasn't it wasn't going to get clicks onto our website do you know what mate if I'm absolutely truthful TNA did miserable clicks on the website anyway a, 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 a lower lower end WWE thing was way more interesting to everybody than anything to do with TNA and that's just it was it was WWE yeah, or nothing because one of the big things I wanted to do with that website is I wanted to do loads of British wrestling I wanted British wrestling to have a, a format and a place mm. and it did miserable numbers and all the people that cared about on that website was not about um building up an industry but we can do that on hookedonwrestling.co.uk if we want to talk about a particular strand of wrestling in this country or in any country or whatever it might be we can do what we want it's our site or it's your site and we can decide our own futures the sun looked at it as clicks and they said rob if you get an interview with chris jericho yes. it gets twice as many clicks as if you get an interview with um i don't know savio vega therefore you do jericho more often and that's the way things went and because when i was working yep. i worked quite with ring of honor at one point and I, I could get Ring of Honor interviews with absolutely anyone in Ring of Honor that I wanted. And the son would say, don't want an interview with him. Never heard of him. Who, um, Jimmy Jacobs, never heard of him. Briscoes, never heard of them. If I said, oh, I've got something with um, Shelton Benjamin. He used to work with WWE. Fine. I've got something with Claudio Castagnoli. He's going to be big. Never heard of him. So we couldn't do indie stuff. We couldn't do, you know, lower down the, the rank stuff. We could do oh. TNA because they were the recognized number two. But the ratings on the website, the clicks on the website, didn't w was miserable. So I w I wouldn't have chased kind. the businessy side of things, because it wasn't it no, wasn't worth my while. Wouldn't. But don't you know? I asked, you know. So you. Well, I would. You know, the thing the thing is as well. You didn't chase it, and frankly, it was. You know, if you'd have asked, I would have told you. Oh, but, but we weren't. We were, anyway, I'm talking about a time we were, where me and you were. We knew each other, but we weren't particularly buddies at that point. Um. We were, right, we, were, okay. we were mates, well, but not close. No, anyway, so it's a topic that people don't need to hear about. The, but. You, no, but basically, the, the, the companies that were writing about these stories okay, never that's fair, asked the question fair. because they weren't interested. Because they weren't interested in a balanced story. I just want the facts. They wouldn't have got the facts. Well, I just wonder how many them. times they did try to ask and got told nothing, so they just went with the tittle tattle because it was easier for them. No, no, not once. No, they should have. I'm. I've got a degree in journalism. You're a practice journalist. If I if I speak to my if I'm doing a story that's that in depth about the business of a company, and I submit that to my editor, and my editor asks me who I've been to, and he then says, he would. The first question he says, well, why didn't you go to that company? And if I said I haven't picked up the phone, then he'd throw that no, piece back anymore. in my face. Not anymore, mate. Right. The world has changed. Yeah. I'm talking ten years. I'm talking ten years. How many clicks can that get me? That's all they care about now. I'm, to I'm talking about the then, and it's 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 it was they just didn't care. They they just cared, and it's the same now. I'm having a rant now, but it was it was yeah, general okay, tittle tattle. Well, uh, we've anyway, so we've cracking on. We've both we've got we've a bit heated as we've ever got on this podcast. I quite I rather enjoyed that. The the adrenaline is now yeah. rather flowing, but we do need to get to some. We're plenty into this podcast, and we haven't even started <laughs> on wrestlers yet. So I think tentatively. Um, you know, okay, so we've got a tentative five. You know, we, we could say 
Dixie, Jeff, JB, Hogan and Bischoff end podcast, move on um, but we've got to uh, we've got to talk wrestlers um, and I've dominated this uh, podcast in terms of touching the agenda so I'll hand this over to you who is the first person you would like to talk about as a wrestler that had an impact on impact okay uh, well the obvious choice for me because he's one of my all time favourites if not my all time favourite Kurt Angle Kurt Angle who spent more time as a TNA contracted wrestler than he did a WWF WWE contracted wrestler before the before he the point where he went back recently I think he's probably just tipped back over into being more WWE now but if he went just to the point where he left Impact Wrestling he spent more time with TNA than he did with WWE that's mind blowing yeah yeah well he was he he was never the man in WWE was he never really but in TNA he was the man and he shifted that company up in you know everything they were doing shifted gears forward when they signed I remember where I was I was on holiday with my ex in Orlando and she went shopping and I was I went off to an internet cafe and I as I did at the time I went and checked out the wrestling news Kurt Angle with TNA wrestling what the like it was the biggest impact to that point I'd ever seen um and it put them on the map it was the first genuinely credible wrestler in his prime main event wrestler I should I should say that they signed and to me it changed it made it acceptable for, for guys like Kurt Angle to go to TNA it was and again like Hogan he didn't go there because he thought they were the best and he didn't go there because they were paying the best he went there because he needed a job and he wasn't going to get one in WWE let's not beat around the bush but he still went there and he made a huge difference on screen credibility wise everything big big time player that guy yeah, what mean, do you think without a shadow of a doubt um, on the Facebook page Mitchell Hayden says Kurt Angle 100% uh, Kevin Hogarth Kurt Angle the biggest name from WWE to join TNA up until that point it's mad that he was in TNA longer than WWE um, and others have uh, weighed in on that as well Kurt Angle um, yeah I mean listen as you point out, basically he was fired from WWE. It's not like his contract ran out. Um, it's not like there was a, you know, just a, you know, yep. there were, he was um, surplus to requirements, creative, had nothing for him, best of luck in your future endeavours and all that crap. Um, he had a problem and he wasn't looking after himself properly uh, and WWE cut him because I think partly they thought it might shock him into his to sense and partly I think they were frightened he would die on their watch. I'll, I'll say it. Um, but... TNA looked at what was out there. He was the hottest um, free agent, and they brought him in. But also, they didn't just bring him in. They brought him in with a phenomenal bang. They did a great job of his debut. They did a great job of his first couple of matches, feuds. Yep. And here's the biggest thing that I'll say for Kurt Angle is that from day one until day final day, Kurt Angle gave that company everything he had. When you compare people that went to WCW, oh, yes. Endeavor straight out of third gear, took the money. And by the way, I don't know what the finances are in TNA. There won't have been more than two or three people that ever made more money than Kurt Angle in that company. He would have been on top whack for most of the time. He would have made a lot of money there. Not as, money, as much money as he made in WWE, but a lot of money he, with an with a easy schedule that protected someone that had the problems that he had. He could have coasted on his name, picked and chose who he wrestled with, you know, not really done business, refused to lose, and that would have been that. 
he went in there and he wanted to prove a point. He had amazing matches with Samoa Joe, with AJ Styles, with Jeff Jarrett. That was a great feud. Um, he wanted to make Matt Morgan. Um, they did the whole thing with the main event mafia. Kurt Angle, if we were just talking on a purely wrestling basis, could be argued to be the greatest wrestler in TNA history. And I include AJ Styles in that. There is an argument to say that Kurt Angle stands Absolutely out as valid. being the best wrestler in that company because as good as AJ is and always was, Kurt Angle is still a bigger star. He was always a bigger star and he was his equal in the ring. And bear in mind, I love AJ Styles. Kurt Angle is everything to that company and I think it says a lot that in the very short history of the TNA Hall of Fame, if you say who's in the TNA Hall of Fame, the first person you say is Kurt Angle. Bang on, mate. Bang on. Credit to Kurt. He's to me. He's he's, he's another definite. He was he was he believed in that company and he put them on his back. And like you say, he gave every ounce of effort he did. That's just what Kurt Angle does, I guess, isn't it? He doesn't do things by half measures. Uh, uh, um, I think he, he he tried harder than anyone to make that company work. Harder than anyone in the ring, certainly. Um, and I think he deserves on merit to be thought of as hugely and we have to start talking about the twofold impact here don't we the, the impact of you know how good were you in the ring and how influential were you on the product and how much did people enjoy your work but also what did you do in terms of bringing in eyeballs in terms of bringing in credibility in terms of bringing in other people that followed you you know people have to you know you have to as they always say in wrestling you have to pave the way and you know that was someone you know that something that Kurt did. I'll tell you. I'll tell you my own little personal story, right? I was travelling into. Um, I guess it would have been Bound for Glory 2009. I think uh, could have been eight, but I think it was nine. Uh, and so, if you've ever been, well, in the era that I went to America a few times in the in the the end of the, the noughties, as it were, um, you know, we were not terribly long after the uh, the Twin Towers. Uh, we were still in the very much in the throes of the war on terror so getting into America and it probably still is this way bit of a ball ache um, so you get to the um, you've, you've, you've had your nine hours flight or whatever it is uh, and you get to the airport and you think you're done you've still got another couple of hours getting through immigration so queuing up waiting getting to the front get to the uh, the uh, the passport control um, what are they what's it called is it the N NSA what's it called it's called the it's got a certain they've got a bit of a they've got a bit of a reputation um, haven't they the uh, uh, the passport control guys. I forget yeah. what it's called. It's something essay. Um, but, uh, homeland security. Say, yeah, homeland security. Something like that. But um, anyway, they, they're not ones for uh, having a bit of a laugh and a joke with you. So you hand over your passport and they look you in the eye and they ask you what you what are you here for? So why have you why have you come here? You're from England. Why have you come here? And I said, well, I'm here uh, to watch the wrestling, big wrestling show on at the weekend. And I remember this guy just looking at me and going wrestling I'm talking a six foot five broad shouldered US marine or whatever you know crew cut deep eyes looking straight at me very intimidating figure saying wrestling and he literally went you've come all this way to watch wrestling and I said yes I have and he went he went are you a wrestler it's patently obvious looking at me folks and I'm not he went are you a wrestler and I said no I said no just a fan <laughs> I actually was there as a journalist, but I said, you know, I'm just a fan. And he went, right. 
He went, it's all fake, isn't it? That's what you usually hear. And I went, yeah, it's all fake. Yeah, it is, yeah. And I just said, I wasn't going to disagree with him. So I went, yeah, it is. And he went, who's your favourite wrestler? And now, part of me said the first person I could think of. Part of me um, said someone I genuinely meant. But also part of me knew there was a bit of credibility. And I said to him, Kurt Angle. And this intimidating figure who was quizzing me on entering his country. After I said Kurt Angle, he genuinely went, uh, he's okay. Olympic gold medalist. I'll let you. Ha- I'll let you have it. <laughs> I got. I got kudos. <laughs> I got credibility from the intimidating Homeland Security guy because I told him my favourite wrestler was Kurt Angle. Had I said literally anyone else in that company, they would have gone, "Who?" But I said Kurt Angle, and they let me in. And uh, well, they were, I think that. I think they probably. I think there even if even had I have said, you know. Jimmy Rave, I think they'd probably still have let me in, but it was there. Uh, it might not have been the same. It might not yeah. have been quite the same easy process. The Homeland Security guy knew who Kurt Angle was, you know, and I and I think that's uh, that's a mate. I, there you I, go. That's all I can. That's my little anecdote, but it's it's the best I can do, and I think it said it said everything. Well, I think I think that stamps that stamps his passport into our go. top five. Absolutely superb. We need to go back a little bit before um, Kurt, because you're talking about Kurt being the biggest in terms of the jump making the credibility, but you did point out he was fired and he was looking for a job. Before Kurt Angle was someone that made the decision to let his contract expire Mm. and choose to go to work for TNA. And his name, when he was in TNA, was Christian Cage. I think we have to talk... I think we yes, have to indeed. talk about Jason Rezzo. I think we have to talk about Christian, Christian Cage. I think he has to be in the conversation because had he not made that jump, you know, do because I, I, I'm fairly certain that Foley was after him and that um, the Angle is after him. And uh, Jeff was. Hardy and Rob Van Dam and them. Hulk Hogan and whomever else, you know, might any of them may, ever made that jump had Christian not done it. It's a very, very fair point. You know, he was, like you say, he was the one, wasn't he? He was the one that made that conscious decision to try and better himself by moving to TNA. He gambled on the fact that he was underused with WWE and he would get a better position in in TNA. And he did. Obviously, uh, big fish, small pond and all that. Um, And I think it worked out well. I think he was, um, he was, I would say he paved the way. Uh, he was he was the fact he was he was the first you know if you think about the TNA TNA eras he was the guy that got them off Fox Sports uh, or a Fox off Fox Sports net onto Fox Sports I think I'm I hope I'm getting that right um, but then it was Kurt Angle that defined the Spike TV era era but would there been would there have been a Spike TV era if not for that Fox Sports net era um, I definitely wouldn't dissuade he'd be the British Bulldog for me on this one mate if if that makes sense from last week. I wouldn't go to war with you over not including him, but I'm just not sure he'd creep into my top okay. five. I think it's a, a fair reaction. Um, what about Mick Foley? Did Mick Foley have an impact when he went over there? Did he have as much of an impact as Abs- Mick Foley absolutely thought he was not. going to have? Absolutely not. Mick Foley was an interesting an interesting acquisition for five minutes. I love Mick Foley. I think he's fantastic. He... And I had some fun times with him in TNA, but he quickly got buyer's remorse. 
he went over to TNA because he was stressed out with his role in WWE as a commentator and I mean you know he had his feelings hurt by how Vince McMahon was treating him so he thought he was on the rebound and he went over to TNA and he very quickly realised that the grass was not greener um, and he phoned it in for a year and I think there's nothing more to say about that he was he was a big name with a big price tag and he uh, if you took him out of the history of TNA it would be absolutely no different whatsoever so Mick I love you but not even close Okay, uh, I'll do one other, uh, actually two other things from um, uh, sort of a, a big name WWE jump, as it were. Um, talk to me about Team 3D. That's very different. Very different. Um, Team 3D. The Dudley Boys, of course, for, for everyone. Else. I suppose with some. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, of course, yeah. Dudley Boys. I'd put them in the same bracket as Christian, um, in that they were, you know, they were, they were pavers they they set the ball rolling on what tna were doing they weren't ones that took them absolutely over the top but the difference is i think is their a, a their longevity they were there a long long time and did a lot of good work b they really set fire to that tag team division which was an incredible you know one of the best tag team divisions there has ever been for a period where it was team 3d beer money and uh, the motor city machine guns at the top and they were hugely influential in being the bedrocks for that and then of course you've got bully ray um and to a lesser extent devon who were the uh were integral to that sort of aces and eights era around about hogan and, and he was big he was you know bully ray was an important main event of a tier and important at an important time arguably tna did more for him in terms of making him a credible character but he still worked a lot i'd i wouldn't be averse having team 3d on the list here's what i'll say for um for, for team 3d and to a lesser extent no not to a lesser but to an ancillary extent bully ray is that i think if you were talking from a purely creative place to say that good matches good feuds good promos good character work as 3D and then his own branching out as Bully Ray as good a heel as there was in the business at the time the Aces and Eights thing which was a good idea it was the best creative idea that came out of that era of, uh, of Bischoff's horribly executed because it ended up having people like Mike Knox and Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe and other losers in it um, but uh, Bully Ray was a star and stood out as an individual and a late, I would compare Bully Ray to JBL uh, in the sense of this was a, a mid-card yep. yep. tag team guy. A bit, okay, the Duddies were higher up the tag team ranks than the Acolytes, but a mid-card essentially tag team guy throughout his career, getting into his late 30s, early 40s, reinvented himself, and it worked. And it worked to a ridiculous extent. I still can't quite believe that WWE didn't look at Bully Ray and go, we need to have him. They brought him in. They brought no, him in for uh, a one-off um, at the Royal Rumble, and then a year or so later, the Dudleys came back for a short run. But given that the WWE have looked yeah. at, all right, they might have you know done nothing with them, but there was an era, not that long ago, about three or four years ago, WWE, sorry, TNA was being headlined. The top four or five names on TNA were Kurt Angle. Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and EC3. And WWE just bought all of them. They yeah. just went, yep, yeah, all of them. We'll have you, all of them. 
now they've done very mixed things yep. Drew McIntyre being world champion EC3 already being released or whatever you know very different you know things but that was who was dominating the TNA landscape go back five years four or five years from that Bully Ray was dominating the landscape he was the best thing on their television he got in shape that's a bigger thing he was always fairly tough he was never really in shape as Bubba Ray Dudley but he got in shape he cut amazing oh. promos he drew the best heat of his career since when he was being Bubba Ray and it was easy heat when he was in ECW I just can't believe that they didn't take him. I honestly, it's because he would have. He that was a WWE character in a TNA ring, and it was oh, it was absolutely me, astonishing. There must have been something more. There must have been a reason why. There must have been someone in power that didn't like him or something at that time because it's inexplicable. Maybe one day that will come out. Um, another great mind. Another, another well, great mind for he, the business, by the way. He has said. He, uh, he, he has said in the recent past on his radio show that it was because of the whole Be A Star campaign that they were doing at the time and they literally couldn't push a character well, who was a bully. Crap, which I think is crap. nonsense because obviously he gets I mean, caught to the him, end. But, you wouldn't um, call him Bully Ray. What... You'd change his name. But no, um, no. the whole point, every, every heel's a bully. That's what a heel is. That's, it's, yeah, I agree. Absolutely I agree. Um, but any, anyway, my broader point is that if you t- if we started talking about the top five creative successes in TNA history, he's very high on my list. In terms of an impact, how much would the business have changed without him? Nah, nothing, nothing. Team 3D, as a, as a as a group with, with with several other people, contributed to recognisable names being in TNA. But would life have gone on without them? Yeah, fine. They never drew any money for TNA. Bully, Bully Ray never yeah. massively drew any money for them, never changed the business. Absolutely brilliant character. They were better with him than without him. But we're talking impact here. We're talking about changing everything. And they, to me, they don't come into it. Is that okay? Do you want to, is that, I think that's a fair thing to say. And by the way, yeah, and I love, so, the, two, well, and I love the two of them. I, I think they're both great. And one of the, my favourite interviews of my entire life was an interview with Bubba Ray Dudley, who gets appalling press from all sorts of places. And I love talking to him. I've done two long interviews with him, and I got on great with him. And so, uh, as a human being, I thought he was fine. And I know a lot of people don't like him, but as you know, creatively, I thought he was even better. But for this list, to me, no. Right. Let's move uh, on. Let's just do one more in terms of, uh, like I say, WWE legacy stuff. Uh, let's talk about the Hardys. Let's talk about them separately. Jeff coming in after having a big WWE run, uh, the whole stuff with um, you know with CM Punk being the champion, um, Triple H, you know that era of, of Jeff Hardy when he was magnificently over, uh, but then he goes away, he pops up back again in TNA, uh, he lends another big name to the um, company, but clearly his head was all over the place. Uh, Matt joins him. Matt's head is all over the place. The two of them made some embarrassing videos where they were both clearly pilled off their face. But then you come back in a later period and they're there and you've got the broken Matt stuff which we talked about. You have to say that the broken Matt stuff made an impact. But was it too late? Was impact too far down the road? Was TNA too far down the road? Had broken Matt come along two or three years earlier, could that have been much more of a game changer? Um, well, that's the first part of the question. Yes, it was too late. Um, TNA Impact, whatever you want to call it, was a husk of the company that it was 
by then it was it was a glorified indie with with a poor time slot and matt hardy needed a job and he got one and he came up with something that worked really well and all credit to him for that but it worked really well because he was on it you know there was nothing to lose there was no money in the pot they needed to do everything they could to keep down taping expenses and having matt hardy go and film some handheld stuff at his house did just that it allowed them to to put content on the screen without incurring live event costs it was a mutually beneficial thing for a company that by then was failing hard that it got over so well was 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 because of how strong it was now fresh it was creatively i know you're not a massive fan i know i liked it a lot more but it was it was not the same company and it was not ever going to change the world um so no nothing you know it was a it was a curiosity that maybe did more than it should have done but it, it it's, it's a okay, footnote we'll move on because we don't need to dwell um, there's, a, there's an era of TNA where um, I'm not the first to come up with this but the uh, the whole circus analogy uh, that works nicely about wrestling which is you know if you don't like the trapeze artist you might be entertained by the clowns and if you don't like the clowns you might like the jugglers and so on and so forth um, I always felt that TNA while never really having headliners that really 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 drew lots and lots of money they did have an era where they had fast paced athletic wrestling and they had X Division stuff which was stunt based and they had tag teams which were exciting to watch but you could argue that the whole women's revolution thing which began in WWE what six or seven years ago is arguably a follow on from the knockouts movement in TNA which probably started around about 2008 when they started taking their women's title seriously I would say broadly with Get Him and Awesome Kong but as I mentioned earlier on there were other figures that were around at the time uh, that can be factored into that the beautiful people were a fun act Taylor Wilde was a good champion uh, you even had Hamada um, Roxy Laveau um, various others that I may have forgotten Jackie Moore to an extent when she was there earlier on um, we have to talk about the knockouts because I believe that the knockouts influenced what the Divas ended up turning into. Um, it's interesting that there's not too many figures that cross over. Do you know what I mean? Because Gail is the one that you think of in terms of being in both companies. Actually, Mickey James as well. Um, but um, I think we have to have a conversation about the knockouts and, and what they did. However, I am struggling to off, off, offer you one do. particular one. It's, I feel like we can't really dominate the knockouts division as making an impact. So it probably... And ends up spreading the love so it means that we can't include them on the list but I think it's worth a conversation because in particular the Gail Kim Awesome Kong matches of around about 2008 were probably some of the best women's matches that had ever occurred in North America at that point yeah um, I want to nominate someone because it was what it was the difference maker for TNA it set them apart massively it was the first thing I would say Eric Bischoff always talks famously every time he gets a microphone put in front of his face actually about how when he was competing with WWE with Nitro against Raw he realised he couldn't do anything better than them so he had to do it differently he does to sorry me, before you go on because you're going to make a really good point I just want to ruin that early on by saying you're right and he's right and therefore it's even more baffling that when he sat down and first started doing shows for TNA at the start of 2010 he basically did a shit version of WWE but you're generally right you're generally exactly right opposite. carry on and this was the well, I was gonna say this is the first thing that, that TNA did both differently and better than WWE. They were their their women's division was 
similar in name only. Women's division at the time in WWE was titillation, it was models, it was nonsense. TNA did the women's revolution years before WWE did, and they were light years ahead of what they were doing at the time. Now, that's, that's probably not the case anymore. WWE have caught and surpassed them with what they were doing. But what, WWE, what TNA did in showcasing those women back in the day was fundamentally the turning point for women's wrestling um, in the US, in the Western world. Um, and you're right, we absolutely need to highlight that. But you're also right in saying, who do you pick? I don't want to be sex. I'm not going to be sexist and say we pick a whole division because we wouldn't do without the men. We wouldn't just pick the X division. We wouldn't just pick the heavyweight division. So we can't. But I think we have to pick one. And the obvious two answers to that are Gail Kim and Awesome Kong. Um, I think I'd go personally with, with Kim because she felt like she was the one that drove that it was her signing that was really the catalyst for making that making them get behind that division um, and I think that's the key point for me I think if, if Kim hadn't been there Kong would have still cracked on but it wouldn't have been the division it was but if you'd have taken it, with Kim's sign with Gail Kim's signing I think it forced them to, to play that hand and play it very smartly. So I, Gail Kim absolutely gets on a nation. A couple of things. Me. One, um, I mentioned about how the, the women's revolution started in, in TNA before it was in WWE. Some people would suggest, well, what about the era of in WWE um, of Trish and Lita uh, and Mickey and Jazz and Victoria and Molly Harley and so forth. Fine, credible, credible argument. Don't disagree with you. However, while all of those were wrestling... They were still doing, you know, the, um, uh, the, you know, the WWE New York Thong Challenge or whatever it was called, and they were doing Stacy Keebler versus Tori yeah. Wilson lingerie table pillow fights. They were still doing Dawn Marie kissing Tori. You know, the focus of the women was still on how nice I'll say it how nice their tits were and not how good they were at wrestling. They had some women's wrestlers. They were not the focus. Yes. Um, Velvet Sky took a long time getting in the ring while showing her bum off um, and everyone shouted let the pigeons loose and it was dead fun but they were still wrestlers and they weren't the greatest wrestlers in the world Angelina Love and Velvet Sky but they could wrestle and they had good characters that made you they were good heels that you wanted to see them get beaten they were still primarily wrestlers that showed themselves off as opposed to you know, models that didn't really know how to fight, and so I think that's where I make the distinction about the knockouts division. I, there were undoubtedly some very beautiful, athletic women in there, but they were wrestlers first. And I actually, funnily enough, for many, many, many years, if you said to me, you know, people would say who's the most underrated wrestler, and you were expected to say, I don't know, Paul London, or you know, even like Chris Benoit or whatever, Frenier, where he wasn't really pushed to the top, or William Regal or whoever, I would often say Gail Kim. I've always thought she's one of the best wrestlers I've ever seen, male or female. I think she's absolutely... I think she's... I would go so far as to say I think Gail Kim is probably the best female wrestler of all time. I, I, I believe wow. that. Okay. She might not have the all-round, so, I mean, in, in the same sense that, um, you know, Hulk Hogan is clearly not the greatest wrestler of all time, and neither is Steve Austin, for that matter. So I'm not necessarily saying that Gail Kim is a bigger star than... You know, than Trish Stratus or than Wendy Richter or than Alundra Blaze or than whoever, but I do think she's a better. Re I think Gail Kim has had more good matches than any other wrestler that I can think of, female wrestler, in my opinion. Um, however, in terms of the impact on impact, I would tend probably to sneak more towards Awesome Kong 
than Gail Kim just because Awesome Kong was so different and gave you that real, you know, I don't want to get into the Kevin Nash thing about walking through an airport, but you just looked at Awesome Kong and you just went, wow. You know, there was something very eye-catching. You know, just her story that when she went to WWE alone is an amazing story. You know, the impact that she made in a few short months and she never had a match. I know she came back later on and was in a Royal Rumble, but she interfered in lots of people's matches, then cried in the ring and then went away to have a baby. It's an extraordinary stint to never have a match in that period of time, but she was turning heads and she had that thing about her and I think in TNA that she was one of those figures where she was really what the division was about. Um, Gail might have been the champ, Taylor Wilde might have been the champ, but it was all about what Kong was doing in terms of the story at the time. Uh, and I think that's what they built the division around, in my opinion. But, to use a phrase that you've already used in this podcast, if we end up going with Gail Kim, I am not going to go to war with you about it. I think the knockouts in general deserve the credit, and I think Gail and Kong are the two that are at the front of it. I will also say, you know that whole thing of when they say that the best wrestlers are just extensions of people's real personalities? Kia Stevens is an absolute sweetheart. <laughs> She's a really, really yep. lovely, kind, gentle person. Uh, An yeah. awesome Kong is a wide-eyed maniac. Wide-eyed maniac. And Kia is really lovely. Not true <laughs> so there, that one doesn't quite apply. They often tell that about a cane, don't they? They say what a nice fella Glenn Jacobs is, and he's not, he's not quite the, uh, the devil's favourite right. demon. But, uh, so it doesn't apply everywhere, but uh, I just wanted to get that in with, uh, with Kong. But I think she was vitally important to that company. I, whether they get in the five is another issue but I would have these two ahead of most of the people that we've just mentioned in terms of Dudley's in terms of Christian to Foley in terms of the Hardys I would have Gale and Kong whichever one we pick ahead of a lot of the people we've mentioned we um, let's have a little quick fizz through uh, a few people I've got two outstanding that I need to talk about have to talk about Three, three actually that I have to talk about. But very quickly, yeah. I'll bracket a whole bunch in, and I'll say I'll say three or four to begin with. But I'll say people: Christopher Daniels, Abyss. There's a lot of people that were in that company for a very, very long time, for almost from day one, mainstays of the company. I'm sure I've missed a few out. Um, Eric Young, you know, various others like that. They don't get anywhere near making a, a top five list of their impact. They just weren't big enough stars. They weren't um, coming in from afar. But as a collective, again, part of them, partly because a lot of them were X Division, but partly because a lot of them were just stuck with the company for so long, they did have a very, very loyal band of mainstays in that company, all of whom I've just mentioned were very important to them. Uh, yeah, uh, you're, you're exactly right. They were good hands, well tenured, important figures um, to have in the company, but none of them are in consideration in this no, conversation. No, uh, they're not. So let's go on to someone else that was there from day one that survived you know, almost through, through the whole run. Um, we've already mentioned in the podcast and stuff. Um, when you say TNA wrestling and you talk about wrestlers, I think in the same way that you would talk about the NWA and you think of Ric Flair if you say uh, the AWA and you think of Vern Garner and Nick Botwinkle if you say WWF or WWF you think of Bruno San Martino and Hulk Hogan if you say TNA wrestling I think people think of AJ Styles I think they do and I think that's absolutely fair and 
he's kind of there twofold isn't he really he's in there as a massively influential he was the first guy really in TNA that went from nothing at the start to the biggest star in the company I'll tell you who he reminds me of I'll tell you who's on the same path as him MJF okay MJF in the AEW to the point where the characters are very similar um, to when to when AJ started out in 2002 um, as, a, as, a, as an individual I think he deserves strong consideration for this list because he he was he was the backbone of the company he was the guy that they could point to as Mr. Homegrown he's the star we've made um, uh, never maybe quite reaching the top he was and I'm prefacing an, another one we're going to talk about soon but he was their sting for me he was their sting you know, WCW Sting, yeah. Come, you know, WCW, WCW had, yeah, WCW made Sting. TNA made AJ without even either of them ever becoming megastars. Um, but also, I kind of have him in his shorthand for the X division as well. Like similar to how we talked about with the women, you can't really talk about influence on TNA without mentioning the X division. We can't induct the division as a whole. And AJ did as much as anyone for that division, I would say, um, from start to finish, really. Well, start, certainly up until he became a top main eventer. And um, he's he was the guy that put it on. You know, was it him, Jerry Lynn, and Loki? Was it having those first few matches when they started out in 2002? And um, that was what made the X Division what it was. I'd have him in there for sure, for exactly that, for those two reasons. One. He was the homegrown star. Two, he made the X division with help. I have very little to uh, to add to that. Um, I just want to give you a few uh, comments that came in because I think they're uh, really indicative of what people think of him. Um, Owen F- Father Gill says, AJ Styles, we watched that man grow in front of our eyes on Impact to the point where he went to the WWE and was able to become a multi-time champion and a real top player. When all those years before it was deemed he would fail because he's small and can't cut a promo. Um, Paul Williams says, given that the X Division is the absolute standout attribute in TNA from its inception until around 2011, I'd have to say AJ. He led the pack that made Daniels, Sabin, Sanjay, etc. the main event, even if they were first on the card. Matt Barber, AJ Styles, rare example of a wrestler whose entrance team was better outside WWE too. People I know who don't watch wrestling that much knew TNA because of him during that time. I think that's a of a point made there. Lots of other people uh, have mentioned yep. him just by name. Um, Chris Wilson, Lauren, Lauren McDowell, uh, Billy Fowler, Adam Lacey, Martin Hart, um, Lindsay Mitchell. Just so many people mentioning AJ Styles, even if they're just saying a bunch of names or they're just saying one person. I think he's the person I saw come up the most. Um, certainly outside. Some people went literal and said Dixie and Jeff because of their, their you know, founding the company or running the company. But outside of those two, for me, people said AJ Styles the most. Um, oh, I think it's just it's got to go in, isn't he? I think it just yeah, it, it just I think it, yeah. The the one thing you could possibly question is to argue about the, the the definition of the word impact, because he's a constant rather than a, a catalyst. You know, he's a constant. He didn't he never probably made an impact on the company because he was always there. But I think that's the semantics about the word. I think if you talk about how important he was to the brand and how good he became. Here's my extra um, little comparison point for the week. And this is partly for those people that love our football references. Um, For those of you that don't know, there was a footballer called Henrik Larsson. 
And Henrik Larsson played for Celtic for many, many years. He was a Swedish international forward and he scored goals year after year after year for Celtic. 35, 40 goals a season. Celtic fans think he might be their greatest ever player. They raved about him. But people in England said, well, anyone can score goals for Celtic because average Premier League players had scored loads of goals for Celtic and Rangers. Towards the end of his career, Henrik Larsson went to Barcelona and he later on from Barcelona went on loan to Manchester United. He was 35 years old and he's played for Manchester United on a regular basis as a loan player and I watched him play in the arguably the best league in the world in the Premier League and I watched him and I went, man alive, he's brilliant. He'd never really tested himself in Scotland. I was never quite sure. I could never say, is he good enough? And he played for Manchester United and he was 35 and he was past it really and he was absolutely brilliant. AJ yep. Styles is Henrik Larsson for 12, 13, 14 years however long he was in TNA you just went yeah but it's TNA it's not, is he going to be a star anywhere else and then he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling that's Barcelona he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling and he became the biggest star one of the biggest stars in New Japan Pro Wrestling and then he came to WWE and this is the biggest thing about AJ Styles in his era in WWE he is pretty correct me if I'm wrong but he is pretty much the only person to come into WWE over the last seven or eight years and not go through NXT everybody goes through NXT um, however big a star you are you go yeah. through NXT AJ Styles didn't straight into the Rumble and it's I think I think you're. I, I'm sure there's an exception. But if there is, it would be someone returning. Do you know that? You know, but, but even people yeah, that came yeah, back yeah. for a second stint, like Drew McIntyre or whatever, you still had to go down into the. You know, big stars around the world: Shinsuke Nakamura, Finn Balor, you know, whoever it was, Samoa Joe. You went into NXT. AJ Styles didn't. He was that good. Right. And it was like, yeah. I I actually think that the best thing that ever happened to AJ Styles' career was going to Japan. I think if he'd have gone from TNA to WWE, oh. he wouldn't have had the impact, quote-unquote. He wouldn't have been as good as he was. Japan was the making of AJ Styles. It was the finishing school for AJ Styles. But TNA was where he did his, all of his education. It's where he did all of his learning. And he was just as good for that company as they were for him, if not more the other way. So I, I don't think there's a, a question about AJ Styles being on this list. Two more people agree. to mention. Well, I'm aware everybody that we're going long on this one, but I, I think it's one of the more fascinating topics we're going to tackle. So forgive us for being a bit long this week. Um, Samoa Joe. We've just talked about Samoa Joe. Uh, just mentioned him a couple of times in passing. Samoa Joe was a huge star in Ring of Honor. Was making huge waves on that level. Came into the, uh, to TNA, and I would argue, if we were doing what is TNA's biggest creative success that Samoa Joe would be in one of these conversations because the job they did, bringing him in, keeping him undefeated, giving him the title, having him feud with Kurt when Kurt came in. Towards the end, it started to waver a little bit. The whole, was it, what did they call it? I wasn't say the one warrior nation then, but that's wrong because that was the ultimate warrior. But they did they did something, no, they did something, something mad like with that, his tattooed it? face and him carrying around a knife. And the last couple of years of Joe in TNA, yeah. he was, well, he wasn't awful, but they just booked him appallingly. But his first three, four, five years, oh, what a piece of booking. What a wrestler, what a star, what a great guy. He is someone that absolutely could have, should have gone to WWE earlier because he had it all. He didn't need to go off to Japan and have it all finished. He he was better. He's actually 
he's it shows what a what a what a talent he is now that he is a star in that company and can continue to be and he isn't a patch on he was six seven years ago he was a far better wrestler years ago and he's still great now yeah he um he, he should have been better frankly you know and i am not blaming him one iota he got spat out creatively he was phenomenal and you're right phenomenal bringing him in great run built him up into a genuine genuine star and then he fell off a cliff uh barely ever to be heard of in that company again and he got rescued by the wwe magic dust as so often happens you know the perception of being in that company and the backing you get from that company can rehabilitate anyone um he's not no I, I can't discuss him on this list because after that initial that initial run he was an afterthought uh, and a card filler and he got massively shafted because he deserved so much better um, but no he didn't have a chance to, to do if what he should have done absolutely playing the word impact through its very definition then I think he absolutely should be on this list but we're not we're, we're essentially using that as a gateway into talking about what we're talking about. It's a bit, it's a bit more of a, uh, a catch-all yeah. term and just a, a sound. It's a sound bite on our part rather than an actual uh, thing. We're exactly. About who we, really, we're talking about who was the most important to TNA is really what we're talking about. And you can't argue that that you can't argue yeah, that's right. Samoa Joe. But if we absolutely were just saying wrestlers only and impact only, he is right at the very top because. The, the, the way that they brought him in and the way they did everything from a, a purely creative perspective was masterful but you could argue that he did, he, moved, he moved the dial absolutely zero um, he gained no extra attention from people other than already die hard wrestling fans um, it is the equivalent of oh well okay I won't really say it but there's there are four or five people that are talked about as being huge stars in AEW um, who are only stars to people that are interested in wrestling Jericho is a megastar and without Jericho AEW would have struggled to have that you know first impact wouldn't they um, but there's other people there's other people for, yeah. i tell you who's a good example I'll, I'll say them the, the Revival what they're called now they're called the Revolt or FTR or whatever they're called they they will FTR, have zero yeah. impact on that company in terms of bringing eyeballs to them because the people that already people that like WWE and know the Revival if you're just a WWE fan and you don't watch you are not going to switch just for the Revival, who were a functional tag team in WWE. If you are a wrestling fan you, of that ilk, you are already watching AEW. If you are a lapsed fan, you've never heard of them. They are going to bring zero eyeballs to AEW, but they're going to make the product so much better because they are outstanding. They care, they are focused, they yep. are good at what they do. You know, All of those things factor in. They are a great hire, a perfect hire. They should build that whole tag team division around them. They should be the mainstay. Clearly, there's a big money match in their eyes somewhere down the line between the Young Bucks and FTR. It's a natural fit. But they will not grow that company one iota. All they will do is add credibility over a long period of time if they have enough of a... They are, again, in football terms, they are, they're, they're a very, very good pair of fullbacks. But they're not a 30-goal... They're not a 30-goal-a-year <laughs> striker, so... That's just the way. That's just the way it is. Well I don't know said. how I got well to them, but I think it's following on from the Samoa Joe thing, really. Basically, Samoa Joe made TNA better, but he did not affect their business uh, in a in a inst, inst, instant way. Uh, one name to go. 
Sting. Right. Uh, yep. How do we rate Sting? And probably the hardest one. We've left it till last. Possibly the hardest one to gauge. How do you rate Sting in his TNA career? It's a strange one. It really is. I, 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 Miranda. It is a strange one. It is a, <laughs> it's a strange one. Look, he was the first guy that came into TNA. It was, there was a legend. You know, he was, you know, he came in in what 2002 it's very early on I wouldn't say he's the sure. first one to come in as a legend but he's the first really? one that was there for a long period of time because really really early on they had you know Jake Roberts and Macho Man and you know uh, I mean, as, I, know I, mean as a proper, I mean as a proper I full time wrestler yeah he was the first one that came that came on that roster as a fully established not just a fully established star as a fully established mega star um, and he was there I think he had a bit of a spluttery start and he? he was there on and off for a couple of years or a year or so and then he was just there um, and then he but then TNA dragged him down um, and, and he came down to TNA's level because TNA was a smaller promotion than WWE and a smaller promotion than WCW he was always the king of the hill there or thereabouts but he was his star wasn't what it was TNA by association pulled him down but did he ever do anything for TNA oh, it's really hard to say I my, my gut instincts that he deserves to be on the list because he would have brought you you talk about how the revival and our Samoa Joe wouldn't have affected business Sting will have done absolutely there was a foundation of TNA fans that would have been WCW fans looking for alternatives Sting to a great extent probably brought those guys in and kept them there week after week and once the, and, and kept them and made them habitual TNA members. and they had a good bedrock it took a while but you know on Spike TV they had upwards of a million viewers a year uh, a week sorry and I'd say Sting probably was the catalyst of bringing a lot of those guys over those lapsed WCW viewers that wouldn't entertain watching WWE so I can't really back this up with any massive passionate speeches or any stats or any anecdotes but I just it's my sense that Sting deserves to be on this list I think what we should do is a draw a, a dotted line underneath the number 5 and above the number 6 so above the, above the dotted line is our 5 below is everybody else I am going to put Sting at 5.5 yep. at the moment Sting <laughs> right. is the dotted line. He is also the icon, but he is the dotted line. And I'm going to come up with a series of people that we've already talked about, and we're going to go head to head. Who more is more deserving of being on go the on. list, X or Sting? That's how we're going to do it. But we're going to do it in a minute. I'm just going to mention a few other names first, just to say that there are people that are obviously big names that have been around the company um, that we would um, acknowledge that have been, you know, they have been there at some stage. Um, I'm thinking people like Kevin Nash. I'm thinking people like T. Um, I'm even thinking about people on the like Taz, you know, on commentary. Um, you know, was a, a, bro a very well-known broadcasting name that you knew, and suddenly you were hearing his voice every week. Um, I think all of those. I just want to mention them very quickly. Maybe even Scott Steiner, people that you have, you know, you knew and lended a bit of credibility and were around. I don't think they come anywhere near our list but I feel that they, they require at least four seconds of 
um, oxygen um, because of you know being uh, more than just a footnote in TNA history. Is there anyone else that you would add to that? Literally just a onliner. Uh, not really. I think. I think you probably covered. I think we've covered what, all those guys that we. What about want some of the ones yeah. a little bit early on that we've not really said? So what about your Monty Brown, Ron Killings, Ken Shamrock? Oh no, 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 no. We could we could be all day. There's so many flavors of the month and so many guys that did well for either a short or extended period of time. We could start talking about James Storm and Bobby Roode and all these guys, but we shouldn't because they're nowhere near the top and they're nowhere near the category you know if we were talking about various other creative aspects of TNA then I'd love to have that conversation but no they're not they're not in the mix so I think I think we've definitely the five that we pick are coming from the list of guys we've Agreed. said sometimes I don't mean what I say sometimes I am covering names that I have read um, anyway let's let's do the five so Sting <laughs> is five let's see if they get in above Sting okay first battle Sting, Sting right, versus Kurt Angle uh, Kurt Angle's higher. Kurt Angle's higher. Agreed. Yep. Sting versus AJ Styles. Um. Oh, you booker. Uh, I would say Styles okay. is higher. You have to think about that one a bit more. So, Styles is just yep. in on that one, on that front. Okay. Uh. Are you so? Uh, I'll, I'll throw in a couple that I think I know where it's going to go. Uh, Sting versus Samoa Joe. Sting. Sting versus Christian. Okay. Sting again. Agreed. Sting versus Gail Kim. I'll go with Gail Kim as your as the representative of the knockouts. Sting versus Gail Kim. Yep. Gail. You're going Gail above Sting. Okay. So we've I got am, Gail yeah. and we've got. AJ and we've got Kurt that have got in above Sting okay so that's three that have got in above him at the moment mm. we haven't yet said Dixie Carter Jeff Jarrett Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff so how are we going to factor in okay. those non-wrestling names in terms of where they fit because at the moment we've got three we've, we have AJ Styles Kurt Angle and Gail Kim that are fairly fixed on our list Sting at a tentative fifth place Yep. We've got four office people, as it were, to try and fit into one place if we go with the four people that we've had at the moment. So how do we do this? Right. Well, I've got I've got two office guys that I would put in, and they are Hogan and okay. Jeff Jarrett. How do we do a list of people that have made an impact on the company and not include Dixie Carter? Because I... Um, at the start we said we were going to discount the foundations of the company um, and I think beyond you know injecting all that cash into the company from the start Dixie didn't you know that if, if we assume that cash stayed there and Dixie disappeared the day after she put it in then the company's no no worse okay if Might we be don't okay if no Dixie therefore is ineligible or at least doesn't fit how come Jeff is because Jeff drove everything to do with that company from there, you know, from until he got displaced from power, Jeff fought to keep that company 
moving forward and afloat. He, for the first sort of, I would say, five or six years, he was he was the driving force that made everything happen. TV deals, uh, talent coming in, everything. So his his influence goes way beyond the foundation, whereas I don't think Dixie's does. Is it fair to say that this is this is like the appendix of this show? I'm just wrapping up. Um, is the, is it fair to say that if Hulk Hogan had said no, I don't want to work for TNA Wrestling, that Eric Bischoff would never have worked for TNA Wrestling. Without Hogan, there is no Bischoff. Ergo, Correct. Hogan is above Bischoff. Okay. Definitely. I am happy to leave off Eric Bischoff. And we could, could put in both, but I am happy to at least say that the reason Hogan gets in and not Bischoff is because Hogan could have gone there on his own and Eric might not have gone, but had Hogan gone, there's no way Eric would have gone. Fair? Okay. Correct. So, Correct. Okay, so let's say the list is, so far, Jeff, tentatively, Jeff Jarrett, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Gail Kim. That's a five. Are you happy with all five of those ahead of Sting? Um, yes. Are you happy with Jeremy Borash not fitting in ahead of those six? Uh, yeah, I am. I am. I am. I don't think Boris can make a stake a claim above any of those five. Unfortunately for for him, I just don't. I just think his influence was, whilst massive, it was on a lower level. Um, you know, they could have got other guys to do what Boris did. They'd have had to probably employ four guys, um, but it wasn't as Im- influential overall as these other five. So yeah, I'm gonna have to leave him off. So then. Jeff Jarrett, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Gail Kim. That's are we happy with that's our five? Are you gonna wake up in the middle of the night and go, How the hell have we left off Sting? It's quarter past twelve in the evening. I'm not gonna wake up until about half past eight, my friend. (laughs) As we have we've gone a bit later than we normally do. We don't worry we normally do in recording this. I'll sleep. Uh, okay, well I mean this is, has been a long time. Thank you for everyone for sticking through this. We don't intend to go, you know, ridiculously two and a half hours on all of these podcasts. It is not our intention. But this happens to be a topic in which both Paul and I are very passionate about. And Paul is very knowledgeable about, as you can tell. I have deliberately tried to steer this. Normally, I will. Well, I've had plenty of my opinion chucked in. Don't you worry about that. But generally speaking, we're a bit equal on it. Today, I've tried to make it so that I've quizzed you a little bit more on it and and to that end I think it's only right that you pick the five um you know if, if I had a massive argument and disagreement um I might pipe up with it I think I would probably structure it it's like I think I would probably would have done the caveat of you know, you know in, n- not really going with them either, either you put in Jeff and Dixie or you didn't do either of them but it's, listen I I'm more than happy with your five I think that is a fascinating five to see where people will go I think some people will vote for Kurt because he made such a massive um, quote unquote impact when he came in and changed the, the landscape I think a lot of people will vote for Double J because he's the man that was there throughout I think a lot of people will say that AJ Styles is the figurehead of the company um, if you were actually looking at it in terms of business it's hard to say anyone other than Hulk Hogan um, and then what Gale did for wrestling as a whole 
you know, she's hugely important. So I think it's a great chat. I think if we added if we added Sting as a sixth, if we added Joe as a seventh, if we added Dixie as an eighth, if we added Borash as a ninth, <laughs> we we could still have a fun list of people. But we would be we would be watering oh, it down, and there's a reason yeah. why we do a top five. So we have managed after all this time uh, to come up with our five. So once again, Jeff Jarrett, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Angle, AJ Styles, Gail Kim is the five people that we have gone with as our biggest impact on impact shortlist. Over to you folks, hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. That is where you can go and you can stake your claim, you can put across your opinion for who gets the single vote, who comes out on top of that list. We will reveal who the winner of that list is on this podcast next week. That was epic, but I rather enjoyed that. I think we have, as I already mentioned in the podcast, had a little chat about doing something TNA-related one day. It may or may not be a podcast, but it might be something a bit different. But there is so much to delve into. It's a fascinating topic, that company, isn't it, Paul? Oh, mate, I could talk about them all all week. Yeah, it's obviously a huge, huge passion project of mine. I've got so many fond memories and, and a lot to say and a lot of opinions that differ from differ from the uh, the normal opinions out there and I think it's probably the one aspect of wrestling where I think I can offer genuine knowledgeable insight that, that, that runs counter to the perceived um, opinion so yeah I, I could talk to TNA all day and, long I also should note that we haven't gone into anyone you know in a, in a later era we haven't gone into you know an EC3 or a Bobby Lashley or a Drew McIntyre or you know Drew Galloway or whatever he was called then and or you know anyone in that because quite frankly when TNA fell away from Spike it lost its luster all round didn't it it stopped being quite as important as it used to be in the landscape yeah, yeah. and not so many eyeballs it wasn't such a good product with all due respect to um, you know to whoever's running it these days Scott Demore Dog Gallus etc um, you know uh, it's just not what it used to be so I, I, it's not it's not disrespectful um, it's just, just just the way it is so I think that's um, that's just a fact right, um, right. it's it's a, it's a different it kind of actually. is isn't it it's just kind of followed on but it's a, it's a very different um, incarnation uh, we did promise you that we would give you the topic for next week um, next week's podcast is going to be on someone that's been uh, very much in the, the public eye wrestling over the last few weeks but nothing he's done in the ring or at least not nothing he's done on our screens uh, on weekly television since Wrestlemania uh, but it has been one of the most talked about things that the WWE Network has ever provided if you have not yet watched any of the three episodes of The Undertaker's documentary The Last Ride it is absolutely fascinating um, Mark Calloway as a human being is much more complex than I think any of us even realised in all the time we've been watching him the things that motivate him the stories he can tell the other people that factor into his story uh, it's an absolutely wonderful piece of filmmaking and there's still um, a couple of chapters to go uh, we are going to have a look next week since it is kind of undertaker season at the moment uh, next week's podcast is going to be what is the greatest undertaker match that did not take place at wrestlemania that is next week's topic what is the undertaker's greatest match that was not a wrestlemania match I think if we did what's the best match of Undertaker's career yeah, it would be Shawn Michaels at Wrestlemania 25 and we could all go home 
Um, and if you're trying to do what was his second best match, it would probably be WrestleMania 26 against Shawn Michaels, and then we've got two. It's a, <laughs> a very, very strong case for the third match being his match with Triple H at WrestleMania 28, and so on and so forth. Undertaker at WrestleMania is a very different thing. So take away the matches against uh, Michaels and Triple H and CM Punk and Edge and Randy Orton and Batista and whatever else at WrestleMania. What is the greatest Undertaker match outside of WrestleMania? Next week, Paul and I will take your suggestions and mould them into a top five. Then we will put that back out for a poll for you to select the best one. As we get into the business end, we the go-home shows of the uh, fascinating Undertaker documentary, uh, which really is an absolute beauty, Paul, isn't it? And I think next week's topic is a, is a fun one to get into because Undertaker, everyone associates Undertaker with WrestleMania, but he's way, way more than just that. Absolutely. You know, he's, he's got such a depth of a career and in terms of great matches, he was doing it for for what? Let me think. So when did he start really kicking it into gear match-wise? It's probably, what, 2000 three four maybe you know maybe slightly earlier before then he was all you know character but after that my god there were some fantastic matches a couple of which we've already talked about on previous podcasts and we will touch on again i've got three or four in mind already and i can't wait to hear about some more and when we open up to suggestions no me neither and that is what we will do very very shortly so keep an eye on our social media facebook twitter instagram etc where we'll post next week's question uh, about the undertaker and offer you the format to get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Um, that will be next week. So thank you very much for joining us today. I know it's been a long one, but I think it's been a fun topic to talk about. Don't forget to go and vote, hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. Check out the website while you're there. We'll see you for the quiz on Sunday. And then failing all of that, back here next week for a brand new How To Be Great podcast from Paul uh, and from myself. Just remember, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. See you very soon.